We want to thank our sponsor, BenderLift. BenderLift is a patient lift device that buckles handles around the patient's torso so firefighters can safely lift patients of any size with ease. The most injury-prone non-fire ground activity a firefighter does is lift a patient. If you're lifting heavy patients, and let's be honest, all of us are, then you're going to want to check out the bender lift so you can avoid getting injured from lifting a patient. Vince, have you ever lifted up a heavy patient? Or any patient at all? Um, I've blown my back out so many times lifting heavy patients. I can't count the number of times. So something like bender lift is a pretty awesome product, especially if it's going to save me from uh, having to lay up from the job or go to medical or just work the rest of my day in pain. Absolutely, and they'll, they'll let anyone try it out for free. Doesn't matter what your role is within the department. Just sign up for a free field trial on their website, and they'll send you a set of bender lifts to try out for a month or so, absolutely free. We use them in our department, and I recommend you give them a try. Just Google bender lift to watch some videos and sign up for a free trial. Bender lift, the new slogan should be bender lift, save your back. <laughs> save your back. Welcome to this episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories. Today we have the honor of ha having CPD SWAT medic, Brian Bardsley. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Good. Uh, it's an honor to have you here. Um, before we get started, we kind of wanted to... Uh, we also have the honor. We also have the honor of <laughs> welcoming back Stephen. What's who up, Who has guys? been a long time uh, not being here. Yeah. Yeah. And welcome back. It hasn't been the same without you. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely been the puppet master, but I'm, uh, I'll tell you, it's nice, nice looking at this guy. Wow. You know, uh, <laughs> in this all is, of his glory. This is actually my first time in the studio since we had uh, started doing stuff in our own studio. It's beautiful. Um, I wouldn't have decorated this way, Vince, but, you know, hey, whatever. Uh, Again, I am not an interior decorator. We could tell. We could tell. Vince decorated with a fucking well, shotgun on these walls. Hey, let's not forget that, it, like, it's all Steve's shit that's been that's uh, hanging on the wall and shit. So you want... Well, it's like, you know, the little statue of the fireman your grandma gives you, you know, like... And I know she doesn't listen to the podcast, so whatever, but, like, Grandma, I love you, but I'm not putting it in the house. So... <laughs> So, Brian, kind of walk. So, where do we start with you? You are rumored to have started with Chicago Fire Department back in the day, and the rumor is that you were assigned to ambulances ten. Ten is that a rumor? Is that can, can that be confirmed or denied? That is absolutely true. Oh my God, we've heard the rumor. It is true, everybody. So, uh, have I met the only man who's ever crossed the other way? <laughs> I get you, that. you may have. You may I get have. that constantly. I mean, that's the first thing everybody finds out. You tell them you are on the Chicago Fire Department, especially coppers. It's bad enough with the uh, with the with the, the policemen or you know the firemen are kind of like that, but the cops all think you're absolutely insane. <laughs> and then you have to explain to them the difference between being a single role medic and being a 
a fire suppression person. And, uh, and so I got to kind of explain that whole, the whole difference about how savage it was. I tell everybody the, you know, the funny story I, you know, and you know, you're all full of piss and vinegar when you come out of the, you know, the academy. I requested 10, like I, I want to go to 10. I wanted whatever. So I, cool. I go to 10. I think, you know, I've been, I worked the suburbs. I worked in Cicero. I worked at whatever. I know what a you know, busy rig looks like and whatever. <laughs> so I show up day one with my SpongeBob square pants, you know, uh, linen and I walk in there and I'm like, who are you? Like, I'm, you know, the new candidate on the ambulance. They're put that back in your car. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You guys don't have beds here? And they're like, oh, yeah, we got a bed, but you're just never going to see it. You won't need it. And I'm like, whatever. So you're pranking me, right? So I go back to my car, whatever else. We catch a run as I walk and back in again. And then 23 hours and 45 minutes, we pull back into Weston and Pulaski and I'm in tears. I'm like in my car. like <laughs> Just rocking yeah, back and forth. Seriously, like I got, you know, snot bubbles coming out of my nose. And I'm like, what the heck did I just do? I don't even... And I slept for like half an hour in the front seat and then drove home. And then uh, it was a, an endless series of that. I was doubled up with Joe DeVillo. He was doubled up on 44, I think. So I got partnered du jour on 10 every other day. And the only like thing for me was that Jimmy O'Shea was my field officer and he took super good care of me. Like there's a couple of days that like, we had like the two dead babies and the guy that got beaten with lead pipes. And I'm sitting on the front of the ambulance and the ambulance bay just like, I'm just going to, somebody shoot me now. I don't want to be here anymore. And he came up, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm okay. <laughs> he like drives off, and then the next day I'm at like a, you know the airport or something like that. He took real good care of me. But no, it was uh, I can explain to people that that's what that life was. You know what that that it's hard to explain to people. They don't what, get what that's like. Yeah, it, you really can't put them into that situation. Yeah, you know. So, um, and that and that really for you saying that that was you know that kind of knocked you on your ass. That's saying something because. You, I mean, we don't want to talk about, I, I, I guess we, we don't want to go too far back, but how did you kind of start all of this nonsense off? You know, I started on the Marine Corps. I was a Marine, like right 88 out of high school. Right out of high school. Joined when I was in my, my summer of my junior year. Did that for six years. Uh, got out and, uh, you know, kind of get that Marine mentality. Moved to Chicago, fell in love with a girl going to medical school up here, and which didn't work out, but... And I still hate her for getting me up here. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so I miss being in, I miss being in uniform. I, you know, I go back to the Marines. They're like, yeah, there's an infantry regiment up here. I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. So uh, I go, oh, I'll go be in the Army, which is stupid because being a medic in the Army is being a grunt with an aid bag. Right. So I did that for a couple of years. And then, uh, and I kind of did it because I wanted to be a better cop. I thought that would help me in law enforcement. And I loved so it. So did you want to be a cop like, like right from the get-go? You know, I was going to be a career guy. I want to be a career yeah. military guy. And then, at, you know, 94, Clinton coming into office, post-Cold War, the military was just in full withdrawal. I mean, they were cutting numbers of guys. They were, it was super hard to re-enlist. So um, that was my, uh, my motivation. Was I was going to be a 30-year man in the Marine Corps. They were going to have to throw me out. There's, there's a common theme in my life with that. Uh, I felt the same way about the Chicago Police Department. I don't anymore with that either. But um, missed being in uniform, so I went to the reserves and... Uh, you know, then I said, I'll be a cop. You know, it's, it, that's fun. You know, be a cop, you know, guns, but the same kind of mentality. And I fell in love with medicine. I really did. Like, I loved medic school. I loved it. I had a great time, you know, got my EMT license and then went right to the privates and uh, kind of did that. Went to paramedic school, Loyola, you know, 98. And it just kind of, you know, kind of tracked. And then pretty much Chicago knocked that off the rails. It's like, I don't <laughs> want to do this anymore. I don't, you know, I was like, okay, that was cool, but maybe it's time to go back to trying to be a police officer. So I took the, took the Chicago police test and got hired up there. And I worked on the Burbs, worked in Stone Park, and you know, worked for Metro and PSI for a little while and did the usual, I think the fairly usual track for paramedics. You kind of get your, you know, went to, the, uh, went to paramedic school, the academy, they put you, you know, Metro put you through 
and then you get $8 an hour to be a firefighter paramedic in Bensonville or North Lake or whatever. That's some great guys out there, but you know, you're waiting for to get hired by that full-time department or a lot of guys go the nursing route. You know, they, they pick up their nursing degree and do that. And like I said, Chicago picked me up and I was happy because I was, you know, I was starting to get a little older at that point. I was in my early thirties. So another reason why I didn't stay with Chicago was I was thinking crossover, but then you were, you were sneaking on 38. Right. And yeah. I'm thinking, well, what happens if I, if that window closes and now, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to wind up doing this for a long time. So it just was a natural progression. I've always been kind of a gun guy. So for me to move to Chicago, please was, you know, not kind a bad of, kind idea. Kind of where you were, you felt like you needed to be. Yep. And it was just, it felt like the right move. Did you, you have know? any family on, on either side? No, never, no, nope, never had anybody in law enforcement, never had anybody in, uh, my mom was a nurse. Uh, that's his buzz close. So I wound up getting to that. But as far as it goes, and I'm not from Chicago, so I got no people on the job, no, you know, no I, family, no. right? Nothing, no, no motivation like that. Like I know third, fourth generation coppers that they knew they were going to be coppers the minute they hit the ground, you know, and that was not my my gig at all. So, Steven over here, we got another Division Twenty guy too. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, nice. So, how long were you with uh, CFD before you hit before you hit the road? Just shy a year, just shy of a year. Really? So I, I did a I did a hard summer. Uh, on ten, and I was pretty much that's okay. Yeah. Couldn't right. have got it in fucking. Right couldn't have got it in fucking October. Huh? Yeah. yeah, check check that box rapidly. Right. Yeah, and then it would have been nice if it been a summertime. But no, I literally hit the ground right. like in early summer, and I was like, holy oh. crap! And you yeah. seriously think you know? You you you, you do? You think no. I've been on an ambulance where I you know we did fifteen runs a day? Like I'm a certified <laughs> badass, and the, you're like, holy crap! What did what did I just walk into? I mean. Yeah, so you're, you know, and I, we always joke, like I teach a lot of coppers and whatever else. We talk about the idea of the FBI says a mass shooting is three to five people shot in the same event, and CFD calls that Tuesday before noon. <laughs> like, you know, and I tell people, you get a career call on a smaller department. Like, you're out in Podunk, Iowa. No insult to those guys, but your career call, like, hey, that's that dude that was on that shooting over where those eight people got shot. You, you build a career off of that. On CFD, literally... That's everybody. Like, everybody's got those stories. And, I mean, I got mad respect. I could teach a lot with Beth Cialino, and she was the ambulance commander over there for, like, 12 years. So I always start to bike thing off like I was on Ambulance 10 for a year, and that broke my will to live. And this is Beth Cialino. She commanded that ambulance for, like, 12 years. So, you know, if there's, if there's one of us that's tough, it's not me. It's going to be her. But, you know, you know a lot of people on that side of the house, and I got mad respect for them, but I was like, I can't. Well, like, especially... You the people who work on the West Side, we've talked about this before. It's almost like a uh, battered wife syndrome. They get out there, yep. they're getting beat every day and they won't leave. But there's, cause there's something about, I mean, I like it because you're surrounded with good companies. You have good guys, both on the fire side and on the EMS side, and you're going to get a lot done. It's a, a grind, but you're surrounded by good people who know what they're doing for the most part. Yep. And I think that's what, what keeps you keeps you around there. Well, and there's a brutal pride. It's the same way you saw in, in you know, military units or something like that, the Marine Corps doing more with less, and you get a, a perverse pride in that. And I, you saw that in those West Side companies. You know, Again, you didn't really appreciate that until you maybe got out of a West Side company, <laughs> yeah. and you saw people start treating you like garbage, and it kind of took <laughs> me by surprise. I'm like... Like, whoa, why are you guys treating me like, a, like an a-hole? Like, you know, and, and usually you weren't even in the house long enough to see the other guys. Like, I remember a couple of times we were there for lunch. Like, the battalion chief would just grab you and put you at the head of the chow line. Just go eat, dude. You're not going to have time. Don't. I know you're a candidate. Just, or you start doing dishes. Like, don't even bother, dude. Just go sit down. And sure enough, you know, 90 seconds later, the tones drop and you're on another one. But then you go to like you go to some other houses and you don't feel that. I could see if you stayed on Chicago, you get into those things where you get other like-minded people that are real... I mean, honestly, some guys are trauma. Some gals are trauma junkies. I mean, they love that. 
they love that life. They're hauling the mail constantly, and you know, I, again, I have a lot of respect for that. I could see how you, I could see how you do that. You know, coppers don't think that way. Like you got to fight your way onto a good engine, and you <laughs> man, the first thing guys do when they get enough seniority is bail out a lot of those districts. But you do have some cops who really get into that whole, yeah. you know, the dope game or the gun game or the gangs game or whatever else, and they really get into it. But you know, a lot of people just want to kind of just find that lane and stick to it, sort yep. of thing. Yeah, you get comfortable. You get that comfort level with it, yeah. big time. That's almost you know, like you said, Stockholm syndrome <laughs> yeah. to a certain degree. You know, and there's so many different things you can do. On on the police department. Yeah. I mean, I felt like that with fire. Like, uh, I met a guy who was uh, a dive team guy. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a scuba diver. I'm a rescue diver, whatever. He goes, oh, we should totally get you over. You know, what, what company are you with? I'm like, Ambulance 10. He goes, oh, okay, well, it's nice meeting you. I'm like, all right, I, I get it. So basically, I'm doing this. This is what I'm doing. If I get promoted or whatever, but I can't, you know, there was, in fire, there's a certain amount. You can be a squad, you be a truck guy, you know, whatever. But you're right on the police department. Kind of the world's your oyster. Like, if you... You know, if you want to become a detective, if you want to work on some of the teams. And that's open to everybody across the board, right? Yeah, by and large. I mean, promotions require a certain educational requirement sometimes. Um, But, yeah, by and large, if you want to be a detective, it's a promotional exam. You know, and I'm not going to be too hard up on the idea of merit promotions. I could talk about that all day and probably get a CR number for it. But, um, yeah, theoretically, a lot of the stuff's available if you want to go out there and hit it hard, you know, hit the books hard and and work at it. And the same thing goes with gang teams, a lot of the, of the other elite teams out there. Some of it is clout, some of it you need to know you're the right person or whatever else, but a lot of it's also, you know, you're, that, you're the right guy at the right place at the right time. Right. I think luck, I think you make your own luck a lot of the time, but luck has a lot to so do what, with it. What year was that that um, you got on with CFD? Yeah, it was 2004, so the great story on that was I was the second alternate in my class, and it was like coming to the end of the list. <laughs> so I go in there, and they're like, yeah, this is probably going to be the last class. We're going to recycle the list or whatever else. And that I, they don't call my name. Like, oh, yeah, you and this other guy, you're alternates. And I'm, like, cussing up a storm. And God bless Mark Kavakovich. He put, like, five people in the hospital the first two days. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, gonna, I'm a part-time police officer. Look, look who's not alternate anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm a part-time police officer in Stone Park. I'm driving around. My phone rings. It's a Chicago number, and I answer, and it's just some chief's like, hey, there's a chief so-and-so. You still a nurse working for the – this is a Friday, by the way. Yeah. You still a nurse working for the Chicago Fire Department? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He goes, all right, we'll be here tomorrow with the prescribed uniform, and uh, congratulations. I'm like, I'm ecstatic, right? I'm doing donuts in my squad car and whatever else. And then uh, the phone rings like 10 minutes later. It's the same number. I'm like, oh, screw you, dude. Oh, You're not. Man. Don't answer it. <laughs> I'm not answering this phone number. But, you know, I, I thought, oh, fuck, I'll just answer it. So I answer it, and it's like, hey, this is a Chief so-and-so. Uh, tomorrow's Saturday. Come in Monday. Oh, God. <laughs> So, yeah, and then I go in there, and, of course, Markovac, which has got everybody terrified. It's like everybody's got eyes the size of dinner plates, and they're, you know, running into walls and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, boot camp, 2.0. All right. <laughs> but, no, that's so, uh, you know, he'll, he'll never have to buy a drink around me because he literally got me in the academy because he wiped so many people out the first, you know, the first two days of the academy I got in. So And, and on top of it, he's just a really good guy. Yeah, totally. He's a good guy. Once you know him outside that environment, yeah, he's yeah. no better. And, and inside of the same year, so speaking of, treated, of being treated like an asshole, um, you started with CPD in yep. 04, right? Correct. And uh, you started off as a patrolman in 15? Correct. Is it? Often. How yeah. was that? You know, it's the same thing. It's the same idea kind of as, uh, as Ambulance 10. It's a, it's a, a high tempo. It's a relatively small district. When I was there, it was awesome because you got a ton of backup. If you got on the radio and called for help, I mean, people were flying and it's uh, roughly the, just out. the same area in geographically yeah, li- as well. Yeah, little, little west, little west of 10, but I also knew that it was good for me because I already knew all the streets, 
and everything else. So it was kind of, it was good for me. It wasn't like I was moving south, because you put me south at 22nd Street, my nose starts to bleed. I can't, you know, I'm <laughs> not a south side guy. So no, it worked out well for me along those lines. And a lot of the same stuff applied, you know, and it was a great place to learn. There's a lot of super senior officers there. Um, and, you know, I think you have your same proportion of guys that want to help you out and then people who just treat you like a, your new POS and, you know, whatever else. But I was lucky. I was never, you know, I was never the high-speed cop. I don't have, like, you know, John Carrito stories or whatever else. <laughs> I wasn't, you know, most of my stories were kind of making fun of me. Um, but I could, I learned a ton. A lot of really good coppers in that district. But, again, I wasn't there for that long. I was only there for a couple of years, and then Iraq kicked off. And so that was kind of the start of kind of where I am now was – um, so we had a great story on that. So um, 2005, I'm working the, uh, the Air and Water Show, and somebody gets the bright idea of making me stand by all the peace protesters. <laughs> so this, this is, there's this dude who makes Michael Moore look like a bodybuilder sitting there, and as those jet fighters are going overhead, he's like, you know, it's not so much fun when they're bombing you. It's not so much fun. So I'm like literally for 90 minutes, I'm listening to this guy, and I'm baking. It's 9 million degrees the whole nine yards. And I found a recruiter that day out there, and I'm like, hey, man, said, if you can get me a unit going to Iraq, I'll sign up tomorrow. And he's like, he's like yeah, oh, that's really funny. I'm like, no, I'm dead serious, dude. If you can, you can, he goes, well, we got to, we got a company going to we got a company going to going to Iraq, you know, next year or whatever else. So I went down there that weekend and uh, and joined the Illinois Army National Guard, Alpha First of the 170th Infantry, and did my workups. Did, did you go in as a medic? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was lucky. I did. I did. I cheated a little bit. The Illinois Guard had a thing called the Tri One, where you could like go in if you were MOS qualified, military occupational specialty qualified, you could go in for one year, and then if you didn't like it, you could get out. It was kind of a recruitment thing. So I figured. Well, if I go in and they don't send me to Iraq, then I just get right back out again. But uh, no, they I got pipelined. Yeah, I got like they're <laughs> like, yeah, I got checked into head, headquarters company for about three and a half hours and got moved right to the company that's going down range. And uh, again, incredible dudes. Medics was, were uh, in pretty high demand during that period, weren't they? You know, everybody was in pretty high demand. Yeah. This was 06. We we're going into 07, the surge. So we were upticking big time. The only reason, in fact, the National Guard units were going was that Big Army couldn't support all the missions. Like, let me tell you, the 101st, the 82nd, 173rd, all those units, those are the premier Army units, and they should be. Um, but they were hurting so bad, they were scraping everybody up. And I was a little broader on the beam. I probably wasn't the the tightest guy, but the, uh, nobody at MEPS took a look at my, at my weight, the, the, my height to weight <laughs> ratio. They were basically, could you walk into MEPS? Could you walk out of MEPS? And I got the, I got the green light, so... You know, I got to go in, uh, got to go do that. And it, uh, everybody, they were hurting for everybody. But medics was a, a specific one. And I was, you know, again, I came into it fairly good. I came in from Chicago Fire, you know, everything else. I'd been a med, I'd been a paramedic for a while, which is substantially higher. They teach your average combat medic to a, about a enhanced uh, scope of practice well, they basic. Had a, it was an EMTI for the equivalent for the Army, I believe, yeah. at it, one point, right? Yeah, the same sort of thing. Like, yeah. you couldn't intubate people. Um, they were just doing surgical crags when I got over there. They're just kind of starting to teach those, but IVs, you were up to push some basic narcs and stuff like that. So it was enhanced, but still, I came into it pretty good. I had a pretty good, thought I had a pretty good beat on things going downrange. And again, it was another surprise. You don't really know what you think you know. You see a lot of small caliber stuff, a lot of nine millimeter, 380 stuff, and it's not like people getting hit by. Do you feel point. like that, that year that you spent on Ambulance 10 helped you? with what you were going to deal with over there? thousand percent, yeah. absolutely. I mean... Isn't that crazy? It, well, I tell people, <laughs> and this is no joke, I saw more gunshot wounds the year I was in Ambulance 10 than the year I was in Iraq. <laughs> what? 
This is the longest road to Vince trying to convince Cody to leave the fire department. <laughs> for the he's like, dude, the armies. I mean, it's a great situation. You're prepared. You're, you're doing. If it. Cody went to the army, it'd be like stripes. <laughs> yeah, it would be the real life version of stripes. It's not you really for everybody. <laughs> uh, I'll just say that. You know. <laughs> Sorry, Cody. <laughs> so I mean, and in 04, 04, things are things are. You're right in the middle of the shit. Well, you know, 04 wasn't too bad. I went over there in September of 06 to about October of 07, and that okay. was smack dab the surge. Uh, it was uh, it was incredible. I mean, we were there was uh, 10, 15 days. Days were 10 or 15 KIAs, you know, tons of wounded. I was very fortunate. My unit did not suffer a single KIA. We, in fact, we lost more people to suicide when we got back than we nice. lost downrange. Um which is another thing I'm kind of a little bit passionate about now with the team, your SWAT team and everything else. But um, what, no, it was, what was your mission for your group out there? So we were super lucky. We, um, we were not landowners. We were, we were an infantry unit, but we got attached to it, to the, the regular army uh, MP brigade, the 16th MP brigade, which is an airborne MP brigade that was doing a lot of the, the um, detainee operations. But we got to do a lot of their outside the wire scut work. Like if they had missions that needed to get done, we had one particular mission where we guarded third country nationals out doing, stuff um <laughs> yeah then we'll we, leave it at that yeah. yeah i don't i'm not sure i want to know a whole lot more about what they were doing um but the other one was we would escort people out to the central criminal courts of iraq which was in the red zone we'd go in we'd secure it we'd set it up you know they bring in the, all these prisoners all these iraqi prisoners we'd try to run them through the iraqi criminal justice system and then pull them back out fold up and then go back in again so we were outside the war quite a bit but wow. we didn't have those brutal day in and day out where you know where our tactics where the enemy knew exactly where you were going to be and when you were going to be there and those two units were just taking a pasting over there yeah so it was brutal and again again people always, the two questions people always ask is was it hot like yeah it was a little on the warm side i mean i tell people turn your oven to 150 degrees kick yourself in the nuts and climb in that's kind of what a rock was like right. and then i'll sit in the front porch and i'll shoot at you inaccurately but annoyingly with an ak-47 for most of the day enough to keep you awake for right. most of the day yeah so you know that's kind of what a rock was but uh you know, we got again we got uh we got engaged a few times we had a and you know, i got to practice some medicine over there um it, it really put the hook in me for tactical medicine then i was a tactical medical guy before then but that really was my passion at that point. Um, yeah. you know, a couple yeah, of my and it showed like in 08 when when you left, it, you left with uh, would you leave with a bronze star in a combat medical badge? Yeah, I'm super proud of the combat medical badge. There's not right. a lot of those floating around. That's uh, <laughs> what, what's the criteria for a combat medical badge? So you have to treat a combat casualty while under under enemy attack. Wow. So you can't just it's it's and technically you're, it used to be that you had to be attached to an infantry unit, which I was, although they've loosened that up a little bit. But no, that's a hard badge to get. They've issued about twenty thousand of those in the entire war. Not a ton of those float around. I'm oh. super proud of that, and that kind of shows that you were a that you were a person out there doing it for you were real doing stuff. Yeah. yeah, you were you were a real medic. Right. And, uh, you, I remember the day I got that pinned on. You know, the, the reaction of my guys is one of those things that you you know that sustains you. When you'll be in a nursing home, you won't be thinking about. A lot of the stupid stuff you'll remember those sort of things, and uh, you know it was a it was a good deal. Um, so explain to to people um, has a medic in your unit. How many guys are you responsible for when you guys go out? So we had a platoon. I was a platoon medic. Is it we, one medic per platoon? That's correct. Okay. And then we had a, a senior medic. There was a kind of would handle rotational stuff if I was home on leave or, 
you know, whatever else he would take stuff. But, uh, you know, you had about 50 guys roughly in a platoon, but a lot of the missions were smaller. Like we would split up into smaller, you know, squad size elements. You're locking 13, 13, 14, 15 people with the interpreters and everything else. So at the end of the day, you were one of the, you were one of the gun guys, you know, when you were over there, they didn't expect you to be a medic. You had to be ready to, to fight. I mean, there was no such thing. You know, the old school back in the day where you had the red cross and you didn't carry right. a weapon and whatever else. Well, right. effectively nobody's respected the red cross ever. I mean, in the Second World War, in, in a very limited number of theaters, the Germans would maybe give you a break, but by and large, even they didn't. And then everything from there, Korea, Vietnam, just medics were, were targets. Well, I think that's why they changed your title to combat medic, because you, were, you weren't a non-combatant. Right, during right. combat train. Yeah. Yeah, the Bill Malden had a funny had a funny one where he uh, a funny cartoon. He's a World War II cartoonist, and uh, he the medic comes in and you can see he's all shot up. He's talking to this guy with a combat infantryman's badge, but his uniform is all clean. He's like, "I don't get no combat pay because you don't fight." And so medics <laughs> medics were really had a little bit pissy about that for a long time, but that kind of went away pretty quickly. Even in World War II, you were getting combat pay, but they've even they changed a lot of the ideas. Where you know, being a medic was one of the best jobs in the military because you. Man, everybody loved Doc. Like, especially if you sh- when you showed you knew what you were doing and the guys trusted you. Man, it was basically like we had a platoon commander that was like, "Hey, uh, Sergeant Barnsley, you're going to be uh, you know you're be on, on guard duty this weekend or whatever." And I'm like, I look at the platoon sergeant. He's like, "Uh, just just give me a second, Doc." And I hear him talking to the guy. Like, what the hell is wrong with you, Lieutenant? He's the medic. He doesn't do anything. So, and the reason you have that is because medics. I mean, they, the the death rate of medics was insane because what happened is if I shoot you and he runs over to help you i just shoot him right and then if you run over to help then i just shoot him right. so we had a, they changed the tactics quite a bit and this is one of the things that we teach to coppers and we teach to special operations you know medics and things along those lines is the idea that you cannot there is no medicine in a firefight it is you establish fire superiority and when that is done then you can move in and do stuff and that was what drilled into our heads uh, during our pre-deployment stuff all along, they made it abundantly clear that your primary mission was the rifle, and then if and when the opportunity presented itself, then you could start rendering aid. Um, and it, was a, it was a dramatic change and a dramatic shift, and a lot of people didn't understand that. When I went to Iraq, a lot of people were like, oh, so it's kind of like MASH, huh? I'm like, yeah, except that no nurses and no food and no whatever. No, they don't understand the idea that you're out there uh, with a line platoon all the time. And that's the kind of medicine I love. Like, I had a right. chance to go back to Afghanistan when the brigade went back over again. But I was a little long in the tooth at that point. I was a little long in the tooth. In thir- you know, I was 35 years old with a we bunch of 20-year-old time. infantrymen. So, I believe me, it, I was sucking wind a little bit. But I, I didn't want to go over there to Afghanistan and be a, a company medic where I sat in the back, you know, handed out medicine, maybe got to go on a patrol once in a blue moon. I loved that relationship that you built with your guys. And that's kind of what SWAT was, too. It's like you get that same that same sort of thing going on. And I'm telling you, it's a good drug. Once you've done that kind of medicine, you build your own family practice almost kind of. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Guys were coming to you with everything, hangnails, you know, anything that went wrong with them from getting their legs blown off to I got a headache or, and then you became, because I was a little bit older, I became the psychological guy too. <laughs> you're like a counselor. I was going to ask, like, totally. how was it with, you're 35 and you're with a bunch of 20-year-old kids. Like, was it, Hard, life yeah. Was it hard? Not hard to get along with him, but like... Hard to able relate. to relate. Yeah, was it... Yeah. Well, it was weird in a lot of different ways. Like, there were guys in my platoon that were gangbangers in Chicago. Inked up the whole nine yards. I mean, they were clearly yeah. in the life the whole nine yards. But let me tell you what, once you hit the wire, 
at all. It all went away. I'm telling you right now. And they knew I was a cop. I knew I knew the gangs they ran. I knew where they ran it. But I'm telling you right now, if I'd gotten hit and it had been in fire swept ground, one of those guys would have came and got me. And that's the other thing that's a drug about people don't understand about combat. You tell people like I couldn't I thought about it's a it's from Apocalypse Now, where Captain Willard's talk about how the whole year he was in Vietnam, he couldn't wait to go home, and then when he got home, he couldn't think about anything but going back. And you tell people that, and they look at you like you're crazy, but you live in a world where if you leave your wallet in the 7-Eleven, it's gone. And you're in a place where somebody who is normally your mortal enemy would come literally sacrifice his life to come get you at fire, over fire-swept ground or whatever else was going on. You know, it was amazing. Um, it was amazing you build that level. And we had one situation where um, we, we got hit with some mortars and uh, we were in a position that I didn't have to have my armor on. We were at that triple CI building and they were hitting us with mortars. So um, kind of stupid. I run out there during the middle of this mortar attack to go treat some of the wounded. And I'm leaning over the sky and I'm working on them. And all of a sudden I feel somebody pressing down on me, like from behind. I'm like, kind of look back at him. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? He goes, you're not wearing any armor. So this guy came out and literally covered me with his body while Liter I was literally working. Covered you. Literally. literally covered you. Literally. And he had to leave his position of, of cover to come lean on me. Wow. And, uh, and again, you, when you've had that level of camaraderie in your life, nothing really even... Yeah, vaguely, where are you supposed yeah. to find that when you come back? Yeah. Right. right? And SWAT team's the closest yeah. I've come to it, right. to be honest and, with and you. minus the body armor thing, I felt the same way with Steve behind me at the urinal in the bathroom. <laughs> it is the most uncomfortable... But oddly comforting thing. Oh, absolutely. That, <laughs> I mean, why, listen, man, you know. I exude that you know, type of. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the heavy you know, breathing, yeah. the sweats. The, it's, it's all. Um, same wow. thing, same thing. Yeah, you know. no, same, same. Um, so, and, and while you were, so how long had you been absent from the police department? Was it the entire, um, was it the entire three years or was it just on, you no, know, on so, a periodic basis? So, no, I, you know, I got lucky. So what I did was, I did a try one. Technically, I was supposed to be out after a year, and my year ended about halfway through our tour in Iraq. So they're like, they involuntarily extended me, which I was totally cool with. I knew that was coming. So I, um, so I had about three months of workups before we did our year in country. So I was my did, entire. Where, where did you go for your workups? We went to Fort Dix, which is the bunghole of the United <laughs> States Army. I mean, dead serious, dude. The, and the army was brilliant in this. They made that experience so miserable, we couldn't wait to go to Iraq. <laughs> we're like, listen, man. Please it just, send me anywhere. Holy, no, I'm dead. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm like dead serious, dude. I will please try to blow me up. If you just, Can I leave here? I mean, I'll, I'll do another month in Iraq. I mean, what does it take to get us out of here, dude? I mean, the army was brilliant in its motivation along those lines. So yeah, it was about 15 months total from door to door. And then when I got it, when I got back... They stop loss. They they cut the stop loss, which was making guys stay in. And I got out immediately. I'm like, yeah, I don't even want to hang around anymore. Thanks. It was cool. This is what I wanted. But I don't want to be a guard guy. So I got out uh, immediately. The nice thing was, and uh, the Chicago Police Department is not always famed for its generous treatment of people. But let me tell you what, I got treated like gold. Uh, they matched my salary when I was stateside. And the minute I went Oconus, I double dipped the whole time. So I got paid as a sergeant tax-free combat pay, plus my entire Chicago Police Department salary, and it was like I never left. Didn't wow. lose anything in the, in the process, and they were so good to my family. As it, sh as yeah, it should, be. It should yeah. be, right? You know, should absolutely, be. and again, like, it's not like the, the Chicago Police Department didn't benefit from that tour that you did. 
yeah. you know, like, I mean, you came back a better man, obviously, where you're at in your career now. I mean, it's it, it wouldn't have been, I, I mean, I'm sure you'd be there no matter what, but it wouldn't have been there without some of these experiences that you had overseas. Yeah, I think I'm lucky. I think I bring a lot. I think, you know, as a medic, I think I bring a, a unique skill set to the team, I think. Oh, yeah. I think it's, uh, you, you know, and it, it, it was a hard road to hold over there initially because, you know, I didn't go through a lot of the same selection process, and I and I emphasize to people that I'm not an operator. I I'm not a door kicker. I'm not one of the guys that's whatever. But I function, and I had to push hard for this to function the same way I did in Iraq, which is pushed as far forward as I can possibly get without literally getting in people's way. And it was a process where getting wow. getting guys comfortable with it, and you know whatever else. I got told initially, oh, just stay at the Bearcat or stay at the. And I'm like, well, that I'm not I'm not doing any good. You're in a position. The Chicago where- Police Department didn't have paramedics on their SWAT team no. for the longest time. No. How long, what was the, what year was that transition where you, people started actively, and I can't remember that one guy's name who... So there's a couple of guys that did unbelievably good work. There's a guy, Lieutenant Ralph Cruz, uh, who helped to write, him and Sergeant Brian Berkowitz are that's, two that's guys. The guy. They're, you know what, they, they hammered, they pushed through the whole thing, and what they did was they were able to grab a hold of 2012, the uh, the NATO G8, the G Summit NATO thing, and they were able to push through what was called LOMAR, Line Officer Medical Response Training, which was the department didn't even have tourniquets. Like, when I went to the police academy, it was like a a fat, like, fire guy came over and was like, listen, uh, if anything happens, call 911, the ambulance will handle it. So any fire guy could have come then. Right, right. (laughs) And we watched South Park episodes. Including myself. So Uh, so that was my extent of our medical training. And then you you heard horrific stories about coppers bleeding to death and cops just standing around them, looking at them, because they didn't literally know what to do. And, you know, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the OODA loop and whatever else, but once you get into that thing where you're not making... You, if you haven't trained to do it, you won't do it. They literally don't know what to do. And if you haven't been trained to do something, your brain is going to tell you and your body's going to tell you to just stand there. And that's what guys did so often. So they were able to get this thing set up. I helped write the the Lomar thing. I was a tiny cog and a huge wheel. Those two guys deserve 99% of the credit. And they transferred that into Lemart. Uh, they were both SWAT medics. So there were some paramedics before I got there. But when they had left, the, the team had kind of lost a lot of its way on the medical side. So uh, a guy named Brendan Hartford uh, and Sergeant Kariakis over there, AK, everybody knows uh, him. Yeah, they were both my uh, medic students. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So you're, resp- <laughs> you're responsible for that. All right, fair enough. Um, but they brought me over in 2013. They decided they kind of want to change how things were going and what we did is I came over and we rebuilt it a lot like the Army paradigm where we have paramedics at the top and then we have operator EMTs. We run in-house EMT classes at the SWAT team uh, we put people through, we dot all the I's, cross all the T's, get them all their training, all their certs and everything. But at the end of the day, it's focused around the tactical medicine we practice. Right. And we make sure that they go in as the operational stick guys. And then everybody on the team is trained. We have an initial 72-hour block, you know, three-hour block or three-day block that we do uh, with, with stuff. We do reoccurring training and everything else, kind of drill into their heads and make it a second nature sort of thing. When you, when you run into Brennan, tell him I still have his uh, book about the PJs. I have no fucking clue where it is. Okay. Tell him I have the book. <laughs> it's in my house somewhere. I'll let him know. So. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah he's... No, he, and that's that's phenomenal considering, I mean, I'm not sure how, how things are done around the rest of the world or around the rest of the country, but, like, here in Chicago, here in Illinois, like, when you go to an EMT school, out of, you know, in a college, like, it's all geared towards fire department. You don't really realize how much of that is fire department or... Uh, private ambulance driven until yeah. again that point, which is 
insanity to me. Now, is tactical EMS still not a certificate in Illinois? Correct. There's no, in fact, there's very few certifications nationwide on that. There's a couple of people who sell tactical medicine things like, hey, pay us $300 and do this eight hour class. And talking about like a TEMS class or something like that? Yeah, I know like uh, NAEMT or one of the organizations teaches like a pre hospital life support for combat or something. Like there's PHTLS and then they branched off into TECC, which is tactical emergency casualty care. But the main one's TCCC, tactical combat casualty care is the military one. But a lot of the civilian law enforcement agencies and, and the and the bean counters and, and risk-adverse people don't like combat, so they literally change it to tactical emergency casualty care, and then even change the name of some of the things within it. But the core competencies remain the same. But you have to look at also, there's some good differences in there. If you look at what my census was as a in Iraq, my average patient was a 20-year-old infantryman who was obscenely healthy, uh, who got stuff blown off of him. You know, and, and in fact, that is the unique um, patient census, not what we see in a normal day. Uh, you know, Brendan Harford does a great job explaining this when he does it. He's my, uh, my partner on the team over there. Um, so, you know, a lot of stuff that I see are older people, uh, people with asthma attacks, or, you know, with the same census that you see on an ambulance, but we see that as we're pushing into a house. Um, a lot of time they'll also have people try to stall you, you know, Oh, I'm having a heart. I can't breathe. I can't, you know, have a, you know, whatever. So we, uh, and we've been pretty lucky on the team that we've been able to forestall some lawsuits and other things like that. Because let me tell you what, we um, we get them out. We get them treated initially. We're super lucky that Chicago Fire, without going too much into our tactics, techniques, and procedures, Chicago Fire goes with us on everything. Jobs, warrants, the whole shoot match. And they're a couple of blocks away. So we start our initial workups. We get the initial treatment done. And if they need it, we call Chicago Fire over and they'll either execute the transport or they'll... Uh, they'll get the refusal for us. Well, it's like half the time the, the SWAT medics are like, okay, I got this, da, 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 you know, and, and they got everything written. I go, what the hell am I here for? There's the ambulance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we try to do that. We try to get to the point where we're handing, and I looked at it like a lot, like a good engine company when I was on 10, when you got there and the patient was worked up. I mean, literally, all right, here's your, here's your stuff. Just load them on the cot and we'll get out of here. Right. That's what the service that we try to provide within within the tactical environment, that's what we try to do for you guys. Because what we teach our guys is that the number one thing, the, the, if you go with evidence-based medicine, the number one thing is time from point of injury to definitive care. And we, we are not docs with Glocks. We do not, we drill out of people's heads. I, I prefer EMTs to paramedics on the stack to go in there and do work because they realize there's a very limited number of things that you can do. The end point is gonna be a trauma surgeon and we wanna make the Chicago Fire Department your time, the least that you can spend there as well. Yeah, coming from three paramedics, I mean, that's we. I think we can all agree on that. We've talked before, like, an an expert EMT is by far better than a kid that Absolutely. you know maybe does not. And there's there's not four, feel confident enough in his. There's paramedic. there's five paramedics in the room, but one of them we don't give a go. <laughs> he thinks so. Wow. Wow. All right, Dan. God damn. Does he have his headphones on? Oh, he doesn't even know what's going on. <laughs> poor guy. Best part about it. This poor guy. So um, that's Cody, so everyone knows. But if, <laughs> so when you, if we could back, I'm, I'm sorry, Brian, if we could back up just a little bit. Um, so you're you're coming back from uh, from being overseas, and you're in. Uh, you come back as a patrolman? Or? Yeah, so it's a funny story on that one as well. So I'm, uh, I'm at the academy. You do anything called retreading. You come okay. back through. The, you have to sit through some law classes. You have to requalify with your weapon. You have to get the psych eval, you know, the whole nine yeah. yards. So I'm there, and it, it, it's kind of a scam thing. Like, it's Monday through Friday. 
uh, eight to four. So you like want to stretch this out as much right, as you possibly right. can. So you're hiding and sliding, you know. And most of the time, the academy instructors are pretty cool. Like they'll they're not going to make you do all the stupid recruit stuff. So I'm like completely snooping and pooping, and they grab me and they're like, "Oh, you have to take the academy commander." Uh, to thirty fifth, you know, to to, to uh, city hall. I'm like, God, you've got to be kidding me, dude! I don't want to. Like, I'm I'm totally scamming, dude. So I get in the car <laughs> with this guy, and uh, he's like, Oh, so who are you? I'm like, Oh, Bardsley, I'm retreading. And then he looks at you right off the bat because what are you retreading for? Right. Are you one of right. these guys who's a complete, <laughs> you know, screw up and you know, and you've always been fired eight times? Like, Oh no, I just got back from Iraq, and you know, his name was Matt Tobias, and you know, like, you know again, we talk about the idea you having Chinamen or you know, whatever juice. And, uh, and I don't have any of that. Like he was just, he just did me a super solid. He's like, Oh, oh what'd you do over there? So I'm start talking to him. We're driving and he was a Marine. So he found out I was in the Marine Corps. He was totally geeking about that, <laughs> which I was totally cool with. Like, I'll, oh, you yeah. know, I'll play that card all day long. And, and you, you guys can sniff each other out like no, from totally. across the fucking room. It's oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's like dog sniffing each other's butts. Then you ask each other some questions, like to make sure you're legit, make sure you're not some stolen right. valor guy. Oh. I, I had a, I had a partner on the uh, ambulance when I worked in the suburbs and he used to fucking just growl at random people and I'm like why are you growling at that dude he's yeah he was a marine I go how do you know yeah you, no you can just tell it's, it's it's like yeah it's an inbred thing they do to you in boot camp but so he's like uh, we're almost to city hall and he's like hey so you want to work at the academy and I'm like well dude I got like three, I just got back man I got three years on the job I'm not the dude to be teaching at the academy what am I going to teach how to be a douchebag rookie I mean what do you what do you want me to teach and there was a thing going on at that time called the Terrorism Awareness and Response Academy. It was a week-long thing that they put on for that. And he's like, oh, you'd be perfect for Tara. And I'm like, all right, dude, yeah, I'll totally. I'll so he calls my commander, Al Weisinger, who wound up getting promoted a few times. Hey, Al, uh, this is Matt. I got your guy Bardsley here. He's retread. I'm taking him. Okay, thanks. And he goes, all right, well, tar Monday, report to Tara. I'm like, uh, oh, Okay, right. sounds good to me. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I got snatched right off the street, and I feel you know sometimes you feel bad about that because then from there I did a I did quite a stretch at the academy. Uh, I got super lucky. Like I got to teach, um, I got to teach rifle, pistol. So I went from Tara to the rifle program, taught the carbine for a couple of years. Then I got to teach recruits a little bit. Got to teach some of the medical stuff, a little bit of tactics. It was just a great time for wow. me. Yeah. And uh, and then 2013 again, they came up and you know Hartford's like, hey, do you want to come over to SWAT? And I'm like, well, like the academy's one of those places. If you play your cards right, keep your mouth shut, especially if you're a marksmanship guy, you can almost disappear for a career there. Like you can become that that guy. Yeah. And then you're and I'm like, well man, do I want to leave this and go to that? <laughs> I got this cake job, man. Right, no, seriously. And I love shooting. I'm a gun guy. It's like, you know, I, you, you're going to pay me to teach people how to shoot. Although a lot of the time that was not as easy as it sounded sometimes. Oh, yeah. But uh, but I'm, I'm like, sure man. it wasn't. But then I'm like, well, dude, you know, man. But then you get, the, you get the bug. You get the, wow, I can go to the SWAT team. I can be a medic again. Like I can, I can literally go back to that gig and I can try to do that. So and how, I'm telling how you, old were you at this time when you got the nod for SWAT? So I would be at that point, so this is, so I'd be, I went to Iraq, I was 34, so I'd be 40, 42. You were 42 when you, you got yeah. the nod to SWAT? 42, I got moved over there. Let me tell you what, wow. it's, it's the same deal. And like, you, you, can, you, know, you can't see me on the podcast, obviously, but I'm not a swimsuit model. Like I, the time I spend in the gym isn't, I mean, I'm like the before guy and the before and after thing. And you know, you're hanging out with a bunch of guys who are like, they're, they're, that's what they do. They do a lot of, 
a lot of tactical. Okay. I disagree. We got a really big computer screen right here, so I can't see Vince or Cody, but I just see you and Steve. I feel like you do look like a swimsuit model yeah. right now. <laughs> well, I pre I'll take, listen, me, I'll take it. I appreciate it. But uh, no, it's it's hard. You're 42 years old. You're getting in there, and uh, at 50 could be 50 uh, at the end of this month, and it's hard. It, you're an old man in a young man's job, and again, even not being a full operational guy, you still get pulled into enough stuff where, and there's no there's no there's no slack shown. You gotta you either keep up or. You, you know, you, they let you know about it pretty oh, quickly. Yeah. There's, I got a man. I mean, is there, I, I don't know a lot about cops, but is there like a, is there like an upper echelon level of like the, the quote unquote SWAT team guy as it pertains to like just the, like kind of a lower level, not a lower level, but like an entry level um, police officer? Like, is there kind of like some, some hero enamorment with, uh, with those guys on SWAT or? You know, the Chicago police department is weird. Like, they hate everybody. Like, everybody <laughs> hates everybody. Like, you know, if you're not like what fuck I do. Guy. Well, I know exactly. Yeah, fuck him. Yeah, you got a clout hacker. That's like um, every firehouse. Yeah. So you don't, <laughs> it's a Chicago thing, I guess. You, you don't see a ton of that. And, and and the guys don't look upon themselves as elite. We're, we're elite in what we do. Right. But if you look at a gang guy or a narcotics guy or, or a lot of those units, in their own way, they're just as elite as we are. So we just, you know, our, we feel like our job is to... We just have a different specialty. That's exactly it. We yeah. have a, it's a tough specialty, uh, and it requires a lot of work to be good at. Um, but those guys put the work in. And, uh, and so what they do, they are. But I don't, I, I don't get the feeling on that team at all that they look at other coppers. And there's a lot of jokes about how cops... There's the SWAT nod. They'll the... You know, I'm too, I'm cool to say, too cool to say hi was to that you. It right there? That was was that, other, oh my god! You know, we might have to, we might have to get a video for yeah, our YouTube channel. I got it too, and let me tell you, it is so nice. Yeah, so it's you know, there's some, there's a lot of jokes. You're SWAT or you're not or whatever. I don't, oh, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't really don't see a lot of that. You know, this, you know, those guys like the, you know, they like the. You know, we're in the gym rubbing each other with oil and stuff like that, you know, whatever. But that's that whole, that's a different story entirely. Right, yeah, I mean, that's, it's not not true, but it's, it, yeah. you know, it's... But I just don't think they, you know, I don't think the department looks at us as, a, as an, you know, like some kind of crazy, like in the military, you think of like Delta, like, oh, right. those are, and it's not the same. Well, those guys are. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, we get Jesus. to, we got to train with some tier one guys. And let me tell you what, they're everything that you've heard about them. They're just. Do they really look like just, you'd never be able to tell by looking at them. No, like these most guys. of them. No, they're, they're, they look they're like not your ripped. neighbor, right? Yeah, they're not ripped. I mean, they're not fat. They're all they all look slightly underweight, but uh, and huh. you don't see a lot of the muscle heads. I don't think I saw a single one of them with the with the navy unit that we were we were able to work with. I didn't see them. Uh, I didn't see any of them that was like, Luke, you looked like wow, that guy's like cock diesel. Like, yeah, you could totally tell. Like, you know, and we made fun of the seals. You know, they're busy. You know, we thought, hey, do you have a workout video yet? Or you know, whatever. <laughs> and they, at that level, they don't think that shit's funny. And I shut up quickly because I didn't want to get snapped in half and put in a dumpster somewhere. It's, yeah, it's so nice to be. But <laughs> they uh, they don't be look, on TV and be able to yeah, do P ninety X and all. Yeah, this. they don't. Th these guys are are completely adverse to that sort of thing. Like wow. they're much more the choir professional. But you're exactly right. You look at those guys, and there were some dudes there that had stacked bodies. I mean, for real. I mean, like guys who had silver stars, navy crosses. I mean, had gone downrange multiple times and done some serious work, and you'd never know it. They were just the most laid back dudes. Hey, this is Dave. I'm Mike. We ran into some special forces guys in Iraq, and I still don't know who they were. They were all bearded, the bearded dudes. And uh, <laughs> we went to paramedic school with this guy, and he literally looked like a fucking GI Joe doll. Like, and uh, he he was a Green Beret, or uh, he was a Ranger. Yeah, and Army uh, Ranger. yeah, he what a fucking dude. Yeah, yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> 
I, I and we're getting off topic here, but, but yeah, <laughs> like this, this guy was like he um, he was. I want to say late forties, and like he, he just, turned forty when we were in paramedic school. Yeah, jacked. but he looked like he was thirty-two. Yeah, jacked, yeah. and he like. Uh, as we went on, he was another one of those guys where, like, you wouldn't have. I mean, he was you thought he did something, but he was one of those guys where, like, not boastful at all. Like, yeah. never really talked about much. Oh, I did some diamond service, and like, as we got to know him, like, we'd go through pictures and just see him, like, just yeah. big bearded motherfucker. He's got oh, the, yeah. you know, he's got uh, the dirk on, right? Yeah. Is that well, the full? I'm not sure what the what the hat that they wear. Yeah, yeah. they. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, yeah. Shamogs or whatever. It, yeah, we went over to his house for dinner one time. He got us fucked up and showed us videos of stuff, and we're like, "Whoa, all right." <laughs> um, yeah, those guys took some videos that probably you don't want. Oh, yeah. a whole lot of people to know. We did. I mean, we were. I was an infantry unit, so I took a bunch of pictures, but that was it. And never when we were getting shot at. If you're so cool that you can take videos of doing right. hits, then you're better yeah. than I am. Because I'm telling you what, I was looking through a drinking straw in a puddle of piss with a snot bubble in my nose. You know, I wasn't like that guy. Yeah, thanks, Dick. <laughs> but they were. Uh, they these guys in Iraq were awesome. Like, you know, they were uh, clearly a, a, a high-end special forces team. I don't know, you know who they were. They could have been CAG. They could have been SF. I don't know. But they were so totally cool. They were awesome. They, like, saw us there. We're, like, a National Guard infantry unit. Let me tell you what, in the, in the, in the, the, ziggurat, the ziggurat of the military, <laughs> let me tell you what, you couldn't have got any further spread than us. And those guys couldn't have been cooler. Like, oh, hey, man, so who's your medic? I'm like, eh, me. Hey, Dave, come over here. And Dave's probably, like, a master sergeant or like a sergeant major. Hey, I'm Dave, man. And they're they, their machine gunner, talked to our machine gunner, and they like gave us stuff. And they're like, there was this pimp ass sling they had for the little CQB saw that they gave our guys. They were, it could have been any cooler in the world. They totally did not have to be. Like they could have been like, you just piss off and go clean our vehicles. And we'd have been like, okay. Yes, yes sir. Yes, sir. We're happy to do it. Um, and that's one of the things, the hallmarks of the special operations community that I thought was always awesome is the way that they're always so willing to reach out to anybody who's on their team and work on making them better. And that's, you know, uh, from Ranger Regiment on up, um, they, they're just, they're phenomenal, phenomenal guys. And it's, uh, you, everything we know about tactical medicine really started out it's with those, those guys. guys. You yeah. know, you go back to Black Hawk Down, you know, where they, uh, they lost a lot of guys in Gothic Serpent and they were not happy about it. And when I, when I went to, you know, infantry school or whatever else, they, the medicine we learned was unchanged from the Civil War. I mean, you could literally... What, what's one of the biggest changes that you've seen through your time as a medic? Um, with uh, our military tourniquets, tourniquets. I'm telling you what, you got a, you got a, you got a paper cut in a rock. You got a, you got a tourniquet. End of story. Like we didn't even care. Like and that was that was such a huge deal when you went through uh, back in '88. It was oh, uh, you know, put put pressure and then put a battle dressing and then wait three to five minutes and put a pressure dressing and then wait three to you know an arterial bleed. Mm -hmm. The dude is dead. I mean, dead. Right. And you look at the numbers. You know, you look at like 10 percent of the of the numbers of the bodies on uh, on the wall in the, in the memorial in Vietnam. Those 10 percent of those guys. Uh, were exsanguination from extremity wounds, dude. It was an easy fix. Where do you keep your tourniquet? So we keep, we make our guys keep them center of mass on their body, able to reach them with either hand. So I have one that goes on the bottom of my kit. I have one that sits right there. I have one that sits in the front of my armor. And then I actually have one on the stock of my rifle um, because I'm the medic. So I carry, obviously I carry more, but I make sure my guys are carrying for a piece, I want them to be able to work on two catastrophic casualties a piece, and then of course I'm taking their kit off of them anyway. If we, you know, we train that our guys to work on the off the guy's kit rather than your own, but I think the two differences you saw is that head to toe, bottom to top, uh, whether you're a, uh, a fobbit in a, in skivvy folder, uh, all the way to an elite unit, you're getting medical training. 
Um, Ranger Regiment made one of their four core competencies. When McChrystal commanded the regiment, uh, he made medicine one of the four core competencies for Rangers. And that's where I did kind of my exemplar from a medic standpoint. That's what I based our program on SWAT off of and everything else. Um, but I think that's those, those are the two big differences. Head to toe, everybody proficient in medicine. And then number two, the tourniquet just becoming a, just a dead bank staple. Like, don't pass go, don't call it $200, slap a tourniquet on it and be done. You know, and again, there's changes from that from two to four inches above to now just high and tight. We'll slap that sucker in place, cinch it down, and be done with it. Um, but I think those are probably the two biggest things. Yeah. But you've seen a lot, ton of other stuff. Um, airway management and the military, they go VFR direct to surgical crikes now. They don't dick around. Like, it's either, they're either posi manual positioning or surgical crikes. I mean, I mean, you, you literally you go to the Navy, the Navy runs a really cool course. Uh, up at uh, Great Lakes, not Great Lakes, but yeah, the, well, it's, it is Great Lakes, but it's the, the Lovell Center up there. Um, man, they've got, they get 19-year-old kids going through Corman School that are just surgical crikes. I mean, just, boop, sky's blue water, sweat, put a crike on them. I mean, they don't. <laughs> God bless. With, high, with high, high levels of success, apparently, when you look at the evidence-based medicine coming out, yeah. going to places like SOMA, if you're not a member, if you're interested in that, and you're not a member of SOMA, which is Special Operations Medical Association, it's the, the military's, uh, organization that does that sort of thing. They have a really good conference in Charlotte every year. Um, and they're really? all, oh my God, you seriously. And it's not like, I'm, I'm not plugging them because they're, they're not a money-making organization. Like anybody, literally, anybody can go? Yeah, I mean, they don't care. I mean, technically, like, they're super cool about letting people, and the problem is that you like go there and you see all these dudes that are like, Bad dudes. There's a bad dude. And then you yeah. see some fat cop with his, like, you know, I fight what you fear t-shirt on. You're like, oh, my God, dude, stop. <laughs> oh, fuck go, fuck, it. fuck it. I thought this was a business expense, but I'm not going. Like, <laughs> like, like fucking no, go and get made no, fun Steve. of. Like, no, seriously, dude. You. We're, still go, we're still going? <laughs> For the love of... Well, listen, wearing that around here is fine, but you're going to <laughs> right. Soma, dude. That's, that's a Delta guy. What are you doing? You're making us all look bad. It's right. bad enough that you look like a stunt double for Grimace, but now you're wearing a cop t-shirt along with it? Stop! Right. right. But no, there's super cool about letting almost anybody go to it they put a little a little quarterly uh, uh magazine out it's they're i mean if you're Pretty serious about setup. yeah they're and they're those guys are just unbelievable the same mindset that they put into into killing people they put into saving people <laughs> and again um and i love it they're all the, they're like the doctor they're like the special forces mafia because when they came up with that after black hawk down they kind of got told by army big army med like screw you, you're a trigger puller shut up and pull triggers dude they just went to medical school. Like, they just, they're so motivated and they're so smart. They just, all right, well, screw you then. We'll become trauma surgeons. And that's literally what they did. And right. now a big <laughs> And then you're going to call us in 10 years. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. And they took it over. I'm like, you see all the doctors and they've all got their jump wings, their halo wings, their combat infantry, combat medic badges, and their lieutenant colonels. And they're like, holy shit. Well, that, that's, that's no joke. And now a big part of that is um, they take SF guys or they take special operations community enlisted guys, and then they pay for you to go to school. They're like, hey, you want to be a nurse? Fine. We'll send you to four years of, med of school, and then we'll send you to nursing school. You want to be a doctor? We'll, wow. pay for, we'll pay for all that. But then you owe the Army, specifically special operations, how, one for one. So if you go to undergrad and med school and then a two-year you know, thing, you owe them 10 years afterwards but yeah. these guys are so wrapped up in that community that they don't even think twice about it they're but not I'm, going anywhere anyway but they totally yeah. they just dominated now that's all right screw us screw you and that's why i tell people in our in the tactical medical world on the law enforcement side is you got to be that guy you gotta you don't have to be a paramedic or a nurse because the skill set helps you because what are you gonna learn in nursing school that's gonna help you with in, what we're doing right today. in a front room with a guy who just caught three rounds nothing wipe right. somebody's butt but it, but if you're going to go in front of that world, you better be able to put some stuff behind your name and you better be able to speak the language because if you don't at that point, no one's going to take you seriously. 
So, and that's something I always joked about with, you know, paramedics never get any respect, you know. You go to the doctor's lounge, there's not little dicks drawn on the wall, like, superior sucks dick or whatever. Like, our lounges always look like that. And you wonder why nobody treats you seriously because you act like a bunch of, you know, right. if you act Children. like a shitbird, people are going to treat you like that. Right. And it's always been the hard part of our profession is getting people, that, we get mad that people don't take us seriously and then we act like idiots. Right. And, uh, and that's why I told guys on our side of the house, too. It's all cool to be the cool guy, SWAT medic guy, or whatever else, man. But you have to be able to speak intelligently about evidence-based medicine. You can't just be like, well, we do it because that's how we do it. You don't right. understand, man, because you weren't there. Right. Like, like, look, man. I was in there, man. Right, I, was do I was doing it, man. I was doing it, you know. Yeah. And so we kind of, we emphasize that. And that's one, another one of the big lessons you learn from the military coming over is that, that relentless, ruthless um, evidence-based. If, if you can't prove it, I don't. I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested in hearing your cornball theory. Or right. well, a lot of the things that I read about evidence-based medicine all comes from the Israelis, like um, the way they handle um, bombings, how they handle mass shootings and stuff like that, because those guys have been doing it for a lot longer than we have, and they put a lot of emphasis in that treatment. Like if a car bomb goes off in the middle of the square – they don't even work anybody like within a certain perimeter of that explosion. They they kind of work from the outside in. Yeah, there's, there's you know, and I'm, so I'm I'm in a lot of ways I'm a big fan of the Israelis, and in a lot of ways I think they get a lot of more credit than they're due sometimes. Um, I'll be honest with you, American the American military really runs tactical medicine. We've really the Israelis do a lot, but we do you saw, give them credit for the tourniquets. So. They, they really initiated, but the proof when the pudding was really in Iraq, frankly, in 06, 07, 08. That's when we were really able to get the data that was like unequivocal. It was because the casualties numbers were so high. The Israelis, they fought wars, but they were very over very quickly, generally, in a stunning Israeli victory. Um, but the, but the, just the raw combat numbers, and I will give the Israelis mad credit for how they handle their mass cows. They not only, and it's like you're seeing, like one thing we see now is stop the bleed is kind of, is, is comparable to CPR. In Israel, everybody knows that. So when a bomb goes off, everybody can dump in and start doing some work. The same way that if you drop in Seattle, your chances of surviving a cardiac arrest are substantially better than a lot of places because they make you take CPR there. Right. Same thing with stop the bleed. If you can teach somebody how to get in there and knock some bleeds down quickly, because if you're waiting for the, the for, you know, and, and I make fun of not just Chicago Fire, but everybody with the abysmal, like the guy, the chief shows up with the, with the eight, oh. uh, with the eight uh, 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 radios and whatever, setting up tarps. And listen, dude, if you're setting up red, yellow, and whatever tarps, they're done anyway, dude. Right. If you haven't gotten there and fixed the problems and evac those people, this is not your great granddaddy's MCI. This is not a, a school bus or something like that. This is a different animal. And the Israelis have really done solid work on that. But I still think from the combat medicine standpoint, I think we really, um, we've really kind of overtaken them on a lot of the stuff the, on the day-to-day uh, infantry level to special operations level stuff. I think that you, you kind of have to look to the, again, especially the Army. You know, being a Marine guy hurts me to say that sometimes. <laughs> but the Army's really led the way in this. And, of course, you know, Captain Butler and whatever in the Navy did a lot of really good work with them. I'm not disparaging what they did. But you look at who's really, who's really carrying the load uh, with that is a lot of the Army stuff. And thank God this has kind of eased back a little bit. But the proving ground was Iraq and Afghanistan. And, 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 and these have all been, you know, validated 
uh, validated stuff. Statistics, so. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And we, we've talked about, about before, Vince, like there's a lot of stuff that we've done that like, you know, you guys are able to, Vince, you guys in the city are like are able to just use the sheer volume and use that data to actually, mm -hmm. you know, put together some, some actual plans on how do you want to act on things. Yeah, I mean, so, they just recently we, did that. With uh, incident command for the cardiac arrest. Right. Love yeah. that. Love Pete Lazar for that. Love that. I just yeah. think that's, you know. And then, you know, Pete had one of those things that I steal relentlessly. And, and I, it was one of the truest things he've ever said in his life. And I, and I emphasize this to every tactical medical class I teach. He said radios are awesome. You can call for anything on a radio. You can get engines and trucks and helicopters. And you can get oxygen bottles. You can get blankets. And, you know, you can get all this. The one thing you cannot get is the one thing you need more than anything else. And it's time. Yeah. Time is everything, and if you squander that, then you just you're, you're you know, time is the casualty in which fire the fire is the rather time is the fire in which casualties burn. I say that too. You just there's nothing to replace it, and you can't get it back. And I would rather and again I learned this in ten. Bringing a guy who looks like a crash test dummy who's alive is better than bringing a perfectly packaged dead dude. Right. And I got that ruthlessly hammered into my head um, by the people I worked with on those ambos. And I'm telling you what, that's a lesson that I never forgot, and that it was just re-emphasized uh, in places like Iraq. Where well, Pete always told us in because uh, Pete taught us in paramedic school, but the one thing he always taught us is the med the best medicine for trauma is diesel. Fuel. Here it is. Yeah, that's it. Period. Step on the gas pedal vigorously. I teach get, that all the time. Let's go. Load and go, and get him to the trauma center. Well, there's a reason why there's wheels on the ambulance, boys. Yep. Well, there's a a lot of people can't appreciate how fast time flies when mm -hmm. you're when you're working any kind of like you know if you're on a plan and you're working and you know when people ask me about how I do plans, I said that time you're gonna before you know what those ambulances are gonna be up your ass looking for a patient, where am I going, what am I doing? So and for you to stay ahead of it, you're already behind. By the yep. time you're, you're yep. figuring it out, you're already behind. So that, that time, you may think, you know, I don't hear anybody, I just showed up on the scene, but that time is already gone. Yep. So it, it, it is the fastest thing on the face of the planet is that, that time. And, you know, for the military, the only advantage we have is I'm there when it happens, whereas you're already behind the power curve. You already had to get there the whole yeah. nine yards, whereas right. I'm literally, the clock rang the minute that explosion went off. I now know, you know, Time I'm, to go. And, yeah. but you're exactly right. You, you know, you're behind the power curve. The minute you get there, the step you step off the ambulance, you're already yeah. catastrophically behind, and you will never catch up. Yeah, you can't catch up. Yeah. Um, since we're, we're on the subject of mass casualty stuff, uh, let's – Fast forward to 2018, and um, where were you the time that you got that call for the the active shooter at Mercy Hospital? So I was at Holman Square actually at the time, towards okay. the end of 20, toward, kind of towards the end of my tour, right down the street from my firehouse. Yeah, yeah. So you know, in the in the beautiful west side <laughs> of Chicago. So uh, I heard over the radio, and uh, you know, what, did, what did it come in as as so, for you guys? So w the first I had heard of it, and this is not how it came in, but I heard active shooter that came over the zone as an active shooter. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what they call it? Can't remember. What, yeah, I'm having a stroke now. I can't remember what the name <laughs> of it is. The the active shooter plan or whatever like holy crap now it came in really as a domestic initially which are you it, which are, it was are, which it like, was are you in out. a squad car or so i'm literally you? i'm literally in my i'm in my office at the at home and square i'm at the, on the third floor and of my your on medical. duty has a SWAT. like yep. how do those hours work like so yeah. i'm dude I'm a, I'm a house mouse i'm like totally lucky <laughs> i work from six in the morning to 2 30 in the afternoon monday through friday although it never winds up but working you're always way. like 
active, like you're, yeah, my you're, phone goes you off. You can be called at yeah. any time. Yep. Okay. Literally, I literally have missed my son's, you know, things for my son, things for my family, things for everything, just at the drop of a hat. I have a take-home car. Except for this podcast, right? Right. Well, my phone's turned off, so yeah, you okay. watch. some kind of massive thing going on. <laughs> oh, the city's burning yeah, around 18, us right now. There's 18 calls on my phone. I'm like, fuck, dude. But so, so I'm literally, I'm, I'm there. I'm at the end of my tour. I'm kind of just putzing around. I'm, you know, I'm usually just, you know, working through my gear, or, you know, looking through training schedules or things like that. And I hear it like, holy crap, it's an active shooter. But you got to understand that for every one of those you hear, by the time you get you, you get on the po- your horse and you're hauling the mail, like, oh, never mind. It was a security guard. We heard a firecracker or whatever. Right. So, but I'm like, screw it. I'll go, you know, we'll go. And it's going to be the end of my tour. That'll be the end of it. I'll get, you know, whatever. I'll right. get on the 290. They'll call it off and I'll be halfway home. So <laughs> right. is, is that the route you took? You hopped on the 290 from there? Um, so actually I came down Roosevelt Road. That's I thought, what I did. That's what I, th- I so thought you would just be hauling down Roosevelt. Yeah, so I went down. I saw I peel off down Roosevelt and I figured, you know, that's not a bad way to go either. But then I started hearing. Kind of, that's kind of a nice way to mentally prepare yourself is driving down Roosevelt Road. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, all, but also now you're hearing more and more, like it's bona fide. So I got my car up to 107 miles an hour. I, I know that's how fast the car will go. I will never probably do that again. Um, but so I go ripping into the into the hospital. Uh, I turn off the car and it literally does that thing where it goes the <laughs> for like thirty seconds as I'm running off. So, so I just grab. Where, where 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 are we in this incident now? When you show up? So when I showed up, they had already killed the bad guy. Uh, Elvis Tersenowicz was uh, was one of our snipers. Uh, did a, an unbelievably good job. He engages this guy alone. Our team gets the three man team gets separated. Um, he wants to be engaging this guy at 73 yards. The guy's trading fire with him. His right rifle catastrophically fails. He has a, a level two malfunction that he has to clear under fire. So he goes prone. He clears this malfunction. The weapon systems comes back up. The guy had established a pattern. We kind of popped out from cover, shot a couple rounds, popped out. And so when he popped out one time, I'll just put a round in him. And then he had enough juice left to go ahead and you know, install the sunroof in himself. So that was the end of that. But the call was coming in that there were multiple shooters with multiple rifles. So when I arrived there, we were still under the impression that there were still shooters armed with rifles, which is another huge problem with almost every active shooter situation is you're going to get tons of bad intel. Right. Um, and it's just how it goes. People see coppers in civilian clothes with rifles. They, they panic. They call it in. So when I got there, we did, you know, in the Airborne, they call LGOPs, little groups of paratroopers. Like you land and you fold up your parachute, you find another paratrooper, then you two find another two guys, and then those four guys find four guys, and you start going and wrecking things. And that's kind of what we did, except for the wrecking part. I found another guy. We ran in together. We found two more guys. We formed a strike team. And this is another thing where me being- That's SWAT guys or just any cop that you ran into? We ran into SWAT guys. There were were a lot of coppers who were already there, but they're- they were not going to do a lot of the room by room hunting that like like okay. the, the SWAT team yeah, does. These sure. guys are allocated to, and that's what yeah. yeah, that's the mission. So basically, this is one of those examples where normally that it's not my mission, it's not my role. I do not jump in a stack with these guys, but sometimes when the ship's on fire, everybody's a fireman. Right. So I wind up jumping on that stack, and we moved to the top of the one tower and started clearing down. And uh, another group came from there, started clearing up, and then a third team was clearing the under sections. And then finally, what came in was that yeah, I think this is not. It's not a multiple shooter situation, so we kind of throttled back. We had to clear the whole building and everything. Um, but one of my medics had uh, had a phenomenal. He had a uh, Matt Kegler, uh, uh, unbelievable. One of the guys that I trained as an EMT basic. Super proud of him. He had a, a, and we watched the video of this with some of the body cameras. So unfortunately, the officer that got killed um, poked his head around the corner trying to do a limited pen from 73 yards. The guy hits him right in the neck. Uh, it's not a survivable wound from the get go. Um, you literally see him take the hit. He spins around. He starts running away from the thing. His hands are on his neck. His eyes are the size of dinner plates. Uh, he knows he's in trouble. My medic comes running up to him, 
Um, and you can literally see him start to move his rifle to start working on this guy. But then he realizes the other SWAT guy's still in a firefight. And one of the things that we train coppers that people do not understand is that you do not treat anybody until the threat has been addressed, especially if you're a SWAT guy. So you tell a school teacher that you're gonna step over wounded kids, but we have to stop the killing before we can stop the dying. Right. If I stop to put a tourniquet on this kid, the stopwatch of death now is about one person a second is how fast they're killing people. If I stop to put a tourniquet and save one life and it costs me 15 seconds to do so, which is supernaturally fast, you just buried 15 people. So he realizes at this point that the firefight is still going on and he pushes around this cop. And to this day, he still has trouble with that decision, even though multiple people told him that was a non-survivable injury uh, on point of contact. But still, he drove around that guy and, they, and he helped uh, Elvis engage the threat and, uh, and they cuffed this guy up. And then he wound up working on the, uh, the pharmacy, the female pharmacy uh, physician or doctor of pharmacology that got hit. Um, and he wound up working on her. Uh, so again, I thought it was a great example of tactical medicine. You have to address the threat. We teach our guys all the time that there's no medicine in a firefight, and he was able to do that under what I think is probably the most demanding circumstances that you could ever have to have as a, as a police officer. Absolutely. Is to move, but he did the absolute right thing both times. Once the, once the, the shooter was down, he went and found work. He went back, he found her, he started working on her. Uh, but then he also talked about the idea where he started to do his assessment and then realized, like, a, a finally one of your people comes up with a stretcher and goes, right, what are we doing? And he's like, we're getting her out of here. That's exactly what we're doing. But he would have stayed there and kind of done, and I kind of, we kind of inflicted a little of a training scar on them as far as doing their assessment, when really, just get them out. We know the entire Chicago Fire Department's parked in the parking lot. Just get her up and get her out. Slap it, which he did. He put a chest shield on the, at the entrance and exit wounds. And then haul the mail. There's nothing else you can do. Hand her off. Um, so again, he did a phenomenal job on that. Uh, and then you know, the, the team did, a, did a, an awesome job on that as well. But my, my role is pretty much centered down around just doing some search work with the, the people. And we learned some interesting, and if you saw the IFSI thing, we had some interesting stuff as far as uh, entry stuff, duress codes, things along those lines. Had a little altercation in the psych floor that the psych nurses <laughs> didn't want to let us onto the psych floor to search. And Oh boy. You know, the, well, and I, you know, I understand where she's coming from, but for all I know, this guy standing behind her out of sight with a gun to her head saying, if you let him in here, we're going to kill you. Well, I have to search. We have to, we have to clear the floor. Yeah. But I also understand that you have people that are not going to appreciate eight or ten guys with guns busted in there. So, again, I think it's one of those educational things where, but the problem is that there's one SWAT team and there's, what, 50 hospitals of different types in the city of Chicago. It's hard for us to get out there. And, Everyone's got their own protocol. And there it Everyone's, is. 100%. What's, um, what's a level two failure? Uh, so he has a double feed on the system. So normally, okay. if it's a level one, it just fails to go bang. It, you, it's called sport fire. You seat the magazine, you pull the charging handle, you observe, you reset, you tap the Ford assist, and you shoot. And I can do a, I can do a level one malfunction in three seconds, four right. seconds. A level two means you have to strip the magazine out, lock the bolt to the rear, clear out the malfunction, reseat the magazine, recharge the weapon. So and so obviously, like clearly more involved. Yes, than, right? and, and it's not it's not instinctive. Like I almost do sport fire instinctively now. Like I put blanks and oh, not blanks, but I put dummy rounds in my magazines randomly just to have that happen. Um, but level twos, you have to set them up. They're hard to clear. But I'm telling you, he was just a he did a phenomenal job. I mean, just as just cool as cucumber, was able to clear the malfunction, and, and that guy would have gone and killed more people. He he had already killed three people. Um, the the uh, the doctor, the physician in the ER. Unfortunately, I heard nothing but great things about her. Every crew I ever talked to absolutely loved her. 
uh, incredibly tragic what happened to her, then he just drilled that poor woman getting off the elevator, the doctor of pharmacology, just for no reason whatsoever, and then killed our police officer, had a couple more loaded magazines on him, and he had every intention of hurting more people. And what Elvis was able to do was just, uh, I mean, it's literally, that's the ultimate shot in law enforcement is engaging a, you know, a, an active shooter, especially from behind cover at 70 yards. That's not a chip shot by any stretch of the imagination. He just did an unbelievably good job. The, you know, the whole team did. Uh, and I was part of the department in general, how everybody, you know, we flooded in there pretty quickly. Um, and it's you know, kind of funny that a lot of hospitals won't let, let you into the hospital in uniform with your weapon on. But nobody seemed to stop us on that one. And you kind <laughs> right, of, right. you know, there's a joke, I remind me about France, like the, uh, the old World War II veteran going to France. And the guy cut to him, asked him for his, his passport. He's like, I don't have a or visa. I don't have a visa. Like, what are you, you've never been to France before? You, you know you have to have a visa. He goes, well, last time I was here, I didn't need one. Like, impossible, <laughs> impossible, monsieur. When was that? 1944, there was nobody here to ask me for it. So not that that hospital's been bad. There were other hospitals right. that were a little bit, but you, you, you get a little annoyed that you're perfectly cool with me coming in there and getting shot to protect your hospital, but right. you don't want, to, you want me to turn my weapon into an unarmed security guard when I come in there to visit somebody. You're like, eh, right. that's weak sauce, man. And that's not how that works anyways, so. Well, yeah. do you know the, the irony of that shooter? He was kicked out of the academy. Right, right? He, right, he, he w was... Of the police academy? No, he mm. got called for the... He was a single-role uh, paramedic candidate, and he got kicked out. Yeah, I, oh, heard he, I, didn't heard he, I heard it was suppression, but I don't know. Either way, you get, you get the golden ticket, dude, and you screwed that up. And I guess threatened to come back and shoot the place up. He clearly was not yeah. a stable dude. It wasn't like some random, oh random situation where, uh, you know, like you didn't see that one coming like a lot of people did. Right, yeah. And see, the system works, Vince. Every once in a while, the system works. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is, is that like um, one of the most in, intense things that, that you've seen as a SWAT officer? Or, um, is, I mean, I know you're getting called out a lot, like, is there another incident that, that comes to mind that you, like, a real pucker factor? Well, I'll tell you the main one we had, we had just recently on 30, uh, on 30 uh, May when we were doing, the, when, the, when, when everything went up big time. Uh, after dark, when, when really this, the loop and, and uh, the mag mile went up, we had a thing where we were, uh, we're moving through, and it's, it was medieval. I mean, squad cars were on fire. Um, there's glass everywhere. Was People, that was that Friday or Saturday? That would have been what Friday night into Saturday. I thought it was, or was it Saturday into? It was. It was Friday to Saturday. Yeah. So Friday to Saturday. So it may have been either late because I was there Friday, and I've talked about it on another podcast that it was real life Gotham City. No, no, it was it was it was medieval. I mean, literally, yeah. there's nothing but broken glass everywhere. And Squad nothing, cars are on fire. Could do. Nope. And we were small groups of us. We had like four or five of us that were in a group. Uh, nobody was interested in engaging us. They were too busy stealing. And they're also, you know, five SWAT guys walking around. Do not make a good target. Yeah. So we're walking. And then, of course, somebody flags us down. And I run over there. And it's this uh, very young male who had uh, jumped out of a window, fallen in the glass, tore his knees and his hands up. And uh, so, you know, uh, one of the people were the, who, who were just, you know, fuck 12 and, you know, all cops are bastards are now flagging me down in the middle of this. Right, now so, he needs your help. Right, so we run over there, we go ahead, we put, uh, I put a battle dressing on his leg and it was, this, uh, it was actually on the, the Chicago Police Department Twitter uh, and, and Facebook stuff, whatever, so I'm getting all kinds of crap about that. <laughs> but, um, so we do that and then, and then that guy, the, the census cowboy guy, the most surreal moment. I'm putting a battle dressing on this guy. I'm just the guy getting on done. the horse. Right. Yeah. He rides up to us. So I'm working on this kid. I hear this clip, clop, clip, clop, clip. I'm like, that sounds like a horse, but it can't be. Like I must be having a CVA. You know, I'm having a, I'm having a TIA or something. Guys, I'm gonna need an ambulance. And I look up, and the guy standing there. He's got a he's got a chest plate of armor on on this horse. He's like, there's been a man shot around the corner. We're like, 
Okay. Well, <laughs> right there, Dudley. I will go check. Did that. you like touch him to see if he was real? Yeah. I, like, you know, I'm, well, I'm, I'm literally looking at other guys. Like you hear him too, right? I mean, <laughs> so we run down there, and sure enough, it's a dude who got shot. And you know, uh, Kenny Adair, one of my medics, uh, you know, he slaps a med, slaps a, 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 a tourniquet on him. And you know, I'm doing the, the follow-on assessment, we're calling it and everything else. And of course, his two female companions with their like F the police signs. And I'm like, you know, oh, so now we're we're not so bad, right? Yeah. So now it's not. So we're cool now, right? And she starts to say, I'm like, that wasn't a question. It was just a comment. So we're going to get your... So we're like, I'm going on the radio call at OEMC. I'm like, you know, Ambo coming? They're like, yeah, it's coming. It'll be there in a little bit. I'm like, well, all right. All right whatever. I don't even know. I don't even know what to expect at this point. And so the squad car, a battalion chief, an engine, like three ambulances. No, that, that was our task like, force. Doo, doo. I was yeah. like, it's like, the, and, the, and the side door opens up. They're like, you have a casualty? I'm like, yeah, he's right here. Like, load him in. <laughs> like, boop, boop. And the EMS train rides off. I'm like, that. Is brilliant. I mean, that's yeah, how yeah. else are you going to operate? Th- that's how we. That's how we rolled that day. It, Dude, it was it awesome. Was a task force, and um, at <laughs> one point they were just pulling the hose off the engine. Yeah, so we called call for a ten one for that engine. We responded yeah. to that. Uh, we were also at the one where the uh, the camera place to caught caught on fire. Yeah, I but, was. I was there. Yeah, but uh, Flounder was the was the field officer on that one. So like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, Robin, you have, Robin was there. You have this weird conversation, yeah. like this guy you know in this situation is unlike anything you've ever been in. So like, so. How are you guys doing? Like, <laughs> it was okay. surreal that whole day, right? No, it was bizarre. It was absolutely... And then they were throwing... Earlier in the day when we were on the line, they were throwing you know, quarter sticks at dynamite well, at us. And let me tell you what, that's, that really got me because I don't... Those, look, those sounded like to me like... The they sounded like mortar <laughs> rounds to me. And I don't... Yeah. They, they, were, they sounded a lot like that. It really got inside my head for a couple of seconds there. I was like, wow, I'm really not cool with this like you can the bottles were bad enough the glass the bottles, water the bottles frozen water that, bottles that, that was okay but like you said when they started throwing those fireworks those m80s and what yep. have you and yep. it wasn't yep. it wasn't until you guys showed up and started spraying whatever yep. the fuck that is it was that, just pepper it was just pepper spray that's why everybody's like oh you do you cheer gas no we no, used we used oc we used pepper spray we were not was, allowed right. to use that anything was the else. only thing that saved the day yeah for that entire incident yeah. was when you guys came out and you guys just formed up and started spraying everybody. Nope. You're welcome. It, I was on that line. Oh, so thank you so <laughs> much. You're welcome. Glad to help. Can it, now, right it, before you, you guys showed up, I was shitting my pants and I yeah. told everybody, I'm like, one of the that was by far the worst day in my career yeah. was that day. It was like a rock. It was literally like Baghdad. It literally reminded me of Solder City in a lot of ways. And, and they put up the bridges, so we're backed up against the wall. You can't go anywhere. We are. Yep. We are literally. It's the Alamo. You know, yep. it's and they the just did, they didn't have a taste for pepper spray that day, and that was really kind of enough. That took the fight out of yep. them. It now, really, when you're spraying the pepper spray, how much of that are you chewing on? So we're wearing masks. So okay. the unfortunate yeah. thing was, and I probably shouldn't talk about this because oh, a lot of the officers, line officers, didn't have masks, and they were fine with it. They're like, "Hey, listen, we told them, hey man, when we open up, we're going to try to get these guys with the prevailing winds, and you know." And then our chain of command was super careful. Like they have to have an egress route. We can't spray them in a place they can't retreat. So our bosses were like doing a lot of calculating about whether we were cleared to, to fire or not with that with the, would it deploy the gas or not uh, and when we did some of it did blow back on the guys but they just didn't care at that yeah. point they're like just spray it like well and that's what a lot of people don't understand is when you guys do stuff there's a fucking huge thought process behind everything it's not like you're out there willy-nilly no absolutely not absolutely not and I, I can't emphasize that to people enough that not only is it a decision and a thought process that's made on the line but it's a decision and a thought process that's made in the administration and the people yes. above you. And there's a lot of people going through a lot of education in their brain 
to figure out how we're going to solve this problem. Yeah, our lieutenant did a phenomenal job. He was out there with us on the line, and there were a couple of times like, hey, we can't engage them because they don't have an escape route. They can't. If we spray them and they panic, they're not going to be able to go anywhere. So, we, you know, again, he, there's a, again, you're exactly right. There's a lot of training and a lot of consideration. When there was nothing that was done spontaneously by law enforcement. There may have been individual, you know, whatever that happened. But as far as, like, major elements or, or stuff by our team, it was all very carefully planned and, and, and cautiously uh, carried out. I, you're exactly right. You know, a lot of that, you know, this whole narrative out there, and I don't want to get too much into it, obviously, that, uh, you know, we're willy-nilly. We're cal- Let me tell you what, it was not that way at all. And when we did deploy it, it was literally like, wow, it's now or we're going to lose the line. It was, it, we were at that point. We were at that point. And that was the second time in my career that I've used my Millennium Mask. So for all you people who yeah, look that thing around and never, there will be a time that I, you will put that on. So my buddy John Franta was, was with us at 35th of Michigan. We, were, we got assigned the next day to, to protect 35th of Michigan, and uh, we didn't wind up deploying anything. Uh, you know, it got a little, you know, a little hairy from time to time, but he was out there with his helmet on and his millennium mask and yeah. whatever else. And uh, I was like, see, you're going to use that thing after all. Even if- so this is going to be uh, probably good enough time for us to take a timeout. Yeah, you absolutely. with that? Yeah. Okay. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Jenico Roofing. You can find them on Facebook, J-E-N-I-C-O. Vince, who knows building construction and roofing? Firefighters do. And this company is firefighter owned and operated. So Jenico are specialized in residential roof tear-offs here in Chicago and the suburbs. They are licensed and insured. You can get a hold of our friend Jim at Genico at 815-693-5665. Genico. So as you guys can hear, we're back from our break. Uh, we freshen up the cocktails. Uh, we're back here with Brian Bardsley, CFD or CFD CPD. Don't joke about Those, that. Put your, cocktail, <laughs> put your cocktail down, Vince. Right. Yeah, so CPD speaking- SWAT medic. Extraordinaire yeah, Brian Barsley. And speaking of, you know, the, the relation the relationship between uh, Chicago Fire Department and Chicago Police Department, I think a lot of our, um, I mean, I would say a vast majority of our four listeners are from <laughs> who are fire. Cody, ba- uh, who are right. Cody's aunts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but they, uh, they've got a fire background. So I, I think a lot of them would like to maybe know what, what's day-to-day operations or, or maybe even getting started in, in SWAT. What uh, what were you expected and what were you getting into day one? Yeah, so you have to understand for the SWAT team, there's a rigid selection process that they go through. It's a, it's a demanding selection process. Um, initially, back when it was HBT, the Hostage Barricade Terrorism Team, they came all from SOS, the Special Operations Services guys. And so it was a it was completely different animal. So it was very difficult to get on the team. And I came over there um, as a guy who had not gone through any of that. They brought me over. Uh, I wear two hats. I'm the weapons and mass destruction team leader and I'm the medical team leader. Um, they kind of brought me over there. The excuse they brought me over there was WMD, but they wanted me to do medicine. So when I got over there, um, there were a certain element of old guard people that were not, they were not happy with me being there at all. Uh, they didn't want did me. They feel like you didn't deserve. Right. To you be don't, there. you don't earn, you know, you didn't earn it. Like they didn't want me wearing the green uniform. They didn't want me wearing a SWAT patch. They like, you didn't earn that stuff. And I've always been very clear that I'm not a, an operator. I'm a medic. I'm attached to them. Uh, you know, I'm attached to unit 353, which is the SWAT team, but you know, I'm not a SWAT operator. That's not my gig. Um, 
But uh, a lot of guys were very bent out of shape. They felt like I was trying to backdoor my way on the team, trying to do a lot of things. And then um, Mark Marjanovic, who, who passed away, um, great guy, and he basically just kind of laid the hammer down, like this guy's a medic and he will be the medic, period. If you don't like it, the line form to the left of my office, come on in. So at the end of the day, so when I got there, really for the first almost year, I didn't do anything. I did, you know, I'd retrain some train with guys and whatever else. And then uh, finally it got to the point where one of the guys on the team, Keith Fleming, was like, you're a paramedic. You've been down range. Why aren't you going out with us? I was like, I'll play your foolish game. Why am I not going down with you? <laughs> so he goes and talks to Mark. Mark says, all right, we're going to start taking a medic with us. And uh, so it started off with me being in the armored vehicle, staying in the armored vehicle the whole time. Uh, which is useless. I mean, if I'm that far away, then you're in a time where seconds count, I'm minutes away. So like, at the end of the day, I kind of told him, like, if you don't want me to go out, I just won't go out because all you're doing now is I'm going to be able to watch you die is what I'm going to be able to do. So finally, eventually, and there were some guys, one guy literally said medicine is defeatist. I mean, clearly people who had never been shot at before were saying stuff like this. Um, medicine is defeatist. We're not, we're hunters. We're not medic. You know, we're not, you know, we don't do that kind of thing. And the emphasis you had to kind of push with these guys is the idea of self-aid buddy aid. Like at the end of the day, if you catch a round, you better be able to fix yourself because CFD is awesome and they are blocks away. But when you we look are, at- We are blocks away. You know, exsanguination from an extremity wound is, is one to three minutes. I mean, you're done. If you don't know how to fix that, you're not carrying the equipment and you lack the training to do so. Uh, it's not going to work for you. So what it was was a, a super painful, super slow process of getting guys more comfortable. The times that I worked with people, uh, the, the the patients I did work on, I did a fairly, you know, I think felt like I did a good job on and everything else. So um, it was a slow process. And then finally, as new guys came on board, I was able to be part of the selection process, being a medic there. So you start, people start to see you as the medic from the get-go instead of seeing you as a newcomer, um, and again, you know, we, we've done some pretty serious work. We've had some people get hurt pretty bad. We've been able to help the department out with some of the lawsuits with the team and with people claiming they weren't getting medical support when they clearly were. They're getting um, you know, refusal signed and they're trying to say that we didn't give them any medical help. Well, you sign the refusal and that's like, you know, all right, case dismissed. Like, all right. I don't think people realize that you guys can document refusals. So we don't actually. We make you guys do it. And the ambulance companies, is, I've never had a problem with them. We've had some weird things. Uh, we had like one guy who stripped naked and poured blue paint on himself, blue latex paint, and came out and we handed him off to the ambulance and they were not, they were not real happy with us. But I'm like, what do you, what do you want me to do? I can't, you know, whatever. The guy's got to go to the hospital. And they, so the engine company hosed him down or whatever. But we actually, we can document refusals. We're in Northwestern system. Uh, Dr. Champus uh, is awesome. He is our project medical director. He runs everything for the Chicago Police Department. Uh, and he's been our greatest ally. Um, I can't say enough good things about him or Northwestern. Uh, Patty Lindemann, same deal, awesome. I mean, she is she has has nurse mated me and wet you know wet nursed me through a million little hiccups and problems. They've you know the the team as it is today really is as much uh, kudos to them as much as anybody else. But yeah, we uh, you know we we can do uh, expanded scope of practice for our EMT basics and everything. But again, it was one of those things where it took time. It took time to get people comfortable with you being there and then realizing that I wasn't trying to get on the team. Like they're never going to you know look for you know, another body to help them go into search a room and it's going to be me. I mean, unless things have really gone bad and there's only been two or three times in my career that I've actually moved in uh, actively with the team, but they've come to trust me that I'll be there for them. They understand what the mission is, uh, but it was hard. It was a long process of a lot of people not liking medicine in general and me in particular. And I honestly, you know, it's not a popularity contest. I've long since realized that. So I don't really care what they thought about me, but 
um, to dismiss the value of, of, of tactical medicine at that level, especially with the way they do things. It was, it was just, uh, it was frustrating. And it was a time that I almost left. Uh, I was, it was maybe three years into it. Uh, they had me on the desk five day, for like three days a week. And I was like, I'm not here to be a desk guy. If you want to do that, then find somebody else. I'll go back to the academy and, uh, and I'll go there. And, and fortunately, it didn't go down that way. But uh, it's just one of those things. And now, and, and, and one thing I will say is the chain of command has always been super supportive um, through the whole process. Even if some of the guys weren't always, uh, again, the chain of command has been pretty good about that as far as. So are you officially as a CPD officer, you're not detailed to SWAT. You're, that's your assignment, That's correct. Right? Yeah, okay. I am attached to Unit 353, which is the SWAT team. So the, does the, that, and you have, does that come with like specialty pay and stuff like so, that? So, boy, you just hit a, you just hit a hard spot. So, oh, boy. And special, well, we, we're known for our hard-hitting questions. So special functions is, is the, <laughs> and, then you, the or, and then the union steward gets them all edited out. So. Or the, <laughs> don't worry. The, uh, the counterterrorism bureau. So you have bomb techs who get sergeant's pay. You have uh, Marine unit people who get a, a pay bump. You have canine officers who get a pay bump, and you've got SWAT guys who get nothing. Our SWAT guys. I mean, you know, on the fire side, if even when I was a paramedic, if I was a hazmat technician and a diver, I would get extra money. I don't get anything extra. Like our hazmat techs, we have hazmat technicians. We've sent people to hazmat school. Technicians, we, we you know, your guys over there, Jammer and those guys, take real good care of us with that. We get no pay bumps. And you pay a lot of money. Like you get issued some basic SWAT gear, but guys spend a lot of money on their own stuff. And we get nothing. And in a way, it's good because then you only get guys that want to be SWAT dudes. But the problem is any pensionable position opens up, detective, evidence technician, whatever, guys leave because that's a, that's a huge deal. If you're, yeah. if you're talking about a, a big pay bump, you lose, and you lose great guys uh, to, to these different units and stuff like that. So, yeah, we get no – so even if, if we did get a pay bump, I probably wouldn't get it because I'm not, quote, unquote, an operator, and I'm totally cool with that. I accept that role, but our guys, the operator guys, do nothing. They literally get paid nothing more than the dude at the desk at 35th of Michigan who's moving paper from one pile to the other. He gets the exact same amount of pay. And that's crazy because, like, uh, when uh – you walk into the Nipsta Fire Academy, one of the first, like, big photos, you know, they got these big photos that line the hallway, and one of them is a bunch of SWAT guys in hazmat gear. Yeah. And I'm, like, on my way to do my tech B, and I go, oh, that's fucked up. I don't want anything to do with that. Like, yeah. like here's this big emphasis on, like, you know, hazmat, wearing the suit, making sure the suit's good, taking your time, and then you're like, oh, there's bullets and these guys do it. You know, it was so. fascinating because when we took the hazmat classes, the hazmat always started with, okay, the SWAT, the police have cleared this area and now we're going to go in like, well, no, we're going to, we're going to go in there and do that. We had one, we had a chemical suicide. We went in and rescued this guy. Like he put the signs up and everything like, hey, don't come in here. I've, you know, whatever. You know, like you can buy that kit or whatever online. And we had to go in and get him. And we're all wearing hazmat gear. Now, let me tell you what, the gear is miserable to begin with in high oh, yeah. heat conditions and you throw the suits on. We wear a modified B. We don't go A, obviously. Uh, for a variety of different tactical reasons, but the modified B sucks as well. And these guys did an f- unbelievably job breaking these, you know, b- breaching these doors to get into this guy and getting him out of there and everything else. It was a, it was a great effort. But we had to borrow a lot of your gear, uh, and they basically muled me out. Like they, all right, wear this and wear these. And if this thing starts beeping or whatever, then you know, I'm like, I'm a hazmat technician. You don't have to treat me like a complete moron. <laughs> and they like completely ignored me. Like I said, if this thing starts flashing, I'm like, all right, fine. Well, it's, I, I got it. Which is one of the few times I actually, again, I did go in with those guys because they needed their hazmat. They needed a tech with them to be able to tell them, you know, environmental stuff and whatever. So I got to go, uh, go do that. But uh, yeah, not a nickel more. And guy, we send guys to. Chicago Fire, we send them down to Anniston, Alabama all the time. We have a pretty good cadre of, of people that uh, 
And then COVID-19 was a big, you know, that was our moment to shine. Like every hazmat nerd on the planet got all excited. Every seaburn dude on the planet was all like, finally people are listening to me. <laughs> and that lasted about 15 minutes and nobody wanted to listen to you anymore. But um, are there any specific traditions that um, you guys practice uh, on SWAT? Are, are there, that we can, any, that like, we're allowed to know about. Yeah, yeah. nothing I can really... Talk about open source. <laughs> like, yeah. like um, we have corned beef on Saturdays. Yeah, yeah there's nothing. Uh, oh, okay, right. nothing specific. Yeah, nothing specific no, like that. No actual hazing for a new guy. That no, no. Actually, I mean, there's there's the verbal demolition derby. Like if you're, you know, if if you come in there and you stand out, you're going to get ground. Either you're going to get ground down or you're going to leave probably. But it's nothing like a, a hazing. They don't like take you out back and paddle you or anything like that. It's a because I mean, especially in the modern day, where oh, for the love of God, don't hurt anybody's feelings well, after this there's a hazing whatever. by the way for all our new guests yes, you know what we, I mean? have, we have hazing right, cool. podca- podcast hazing yeah well there's, there's that whole thing like you know you can was it uh you can sex in or you can get beat in like well why not both why, <laughs> why do i why do i gotta pick i mean what what's that all about right why why pigeonhole myself right, I mean, on one road <laughs> yeah listen dude come on man that's a big joke like if you gave you a marine infantry guy and you get out you can either be a cop or a gay porn star and you're like well <laughs> Well, why are you going to limit me? Why do you have to like that? I mean, I what? I can't do both? I mean, come on, man. Well, yeah, the, uh, it eventually in this, this podcast. Uh, this definitely took a weird turn. <laughs> well, don't cut that out for me, please. <laughs> it's definitely Cody's fault. Well, and has my job to get us back on track. Uh, eventually in this podcast, Corey is going to ask you, if you've had any jokes played on you or if there was any, like, uh, like super ridiculous uh, ball busting going on within SWAT. Have you guys had, any, like, any pranksters on the SWAT team that you can speak to? You know what? There's no real there's no real pranksters. Like well, that's I, what's I saw, wrong with SWAT. I saw a that's ton, <laughs> so much more pranksters at, on fire than I did. Than I did. Like, we did one thing in Stone Park. We did this thing where this guy... Um, he had a brand new car that he loved and we went out and did some auto extrication. We, we got some glass, <laughs> the broken glass. And then what we did was we, that night he went to bed. We went out, we rolled one of his, took his keys, rolled one of his windows down, <laughs> sprayed broken glass in there, pulled everything out of his car. And then we called the Stone Park police guys. We set them up for it. So, Which you also worked for. Right, that right. So it was, an easy, it was an easy fix. So the copper comes out there and uh, goes to do like an interview with him or whatever. So we run outside, we clean the car up, we put everything back, we clean all the glass out, roll his window back up again and he's like all right let's go downstairs i'll take a couple of pictures of your car and then we'll he comes down there the car is fine he's like oh you know you fucking fire guys you think it's funny how are you gonna waste our time so he puts them in cuffs and starts to put them in the back of the car yeah we take a a picture of him getting put in the back of the squad car it was epic dude it was the best prank i've ever seen in my life i gotta tell you that's a good one like there's a slow burn but like a double burn yeah or a backdoor burn i don't know what you would call that that because like it's not often that you're like oh you guys are fucking with me and then it's like oh no oh no now I'm in trouble <laughs> right no he was and, he, and the look on his face is classic he was like oh my god they're gonna arrest me look we'll call a lawyer for you and whatever it was great dude but uh, there's a, as he's getting arrested he's trying to figure out how the fuck did my window get back right <laughs> right <laughs> it was a class it was pretty funny but no the, I, what there's more than prankers than the, there's ball busting like there are some dudes that were legend there's a guy named Rick Hoyle on the team and that guy was savage dude he's retired since <laughs> He's living down south, but that guy was legendary. Like, you fucked with that guy at your own peril, dude. Don't say anything. I didn't want to look at that guy in the back of the Bearcat sometimes. Like, he's looking to fuck with somebody. Oh, I don't want to be the dude, man. So I'm just going to sit here and go through first aid stuff, looking at my tourniquets or whatever. 
But uh, there's some there's some dudes it's like in that. a lion in the back of the head. I just can't make <laughs> yeah. eye contact. Yeah, exactly. It's like being in prison. Like, oh my god, I, I didn't drop the soap or anything. There's another guy, Paul Emilio. He's pretty funny too. There's some guys. There's some guys that are they're they're serious ball busters. But you just we don't that environment doesn't work for us where those guys are moving so much. They're they're rotating shifts and there's you know again we're in that thing where we don't hang out like that's one of the huge differences between the fire department and the police department that I noticed was on the fire department you come in in the morning you know you sit at the kitchen table you grab a cup of coffee with your guys assuming you're not an ambulance tent and you're fucking running it you know whatever five minutes after you get there but you go in there you know you have some coffee then you go out you check the apparatus you go on runs through there you come cops man you go in you hit roll call you grab your shit you grab your partner then you're off i mean they train you to be alone you may not see them another five years dude you're right you may not you're like dude you're like you bump into people and that's some good things sometimes because you hate some people and then other times like wow man like we're good friends and i totally lost track we're in the same district on the same watch in the same sector, and like I don't even like I don't even know you anymore. Yeah. So it's completely different. They train us to be lone wolves very much. Like go out there and handle your business, and which also ties into the whole PTSD real issues with that, where they train you that you know any any sort of weakness is frowned upon. Like you need to go out there, and you need to you know, handle your business, you need you know whatever. We don't need any help. We don't like like instant command. Like coppers just don't do well with instant command. We're like I don't understand. What do you mean? I have to talk to some sergeant or whatever. I'm just going to, you know, whereas fire guys, they just, they understand that shit intuitively coming out of the academy. It's drilled into your head accountability and don't freelance and whatever. And really cops, that's what you do. You literally there's, go out. There's and, none of that like team building in uh, the police academy. Well, they do, but you know, that's six months and then you're gone. I mean, and then you're, you, and you get that feeling, oh yeah, you know, you're super motivated. You come up with your little class motto and your class t-shirt and whatever else. And then the minute you hit the street, that shit is gone. I, yeah. They're like, where'd hey, you get, yeah, the guys are like, where'd you get that t-shirt? Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, 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 you know, kid, lose that t-shirt. You know, I don't Roger that. I'll just, I won't wear that t-shirt anymore. Yeah. We, I, I know it's out by me at least. Like that's, um, that's something that like with Nipus and like we, I, I just started recently figuring out that like there's just no, that, I mean, not to, uh, by no means is this knocking you guys, but like there's no real structure. It seems like when it comes to like mutual aid responses no. and like, I mean, it is it, again, from, from what I'm finding out, it's, I mean, there's an incident in this town, you know, there's an incident in Rosemont, you know, they'll put out a NIPAS response yep. and like, you know, one town might send seven people or seven people in, in seven squads. One town might send two people in, in, you know, whatever, one yeah. squad. And, like, it just seems like just throwing shit on the wall yeah, to see what happens. A lot of times, in, in Chicago, police is a little different. Obviously, we have a little more of the, the kind of like the plans that you all have where you get a certain number of cars and responses from other districts, and we tend to work a little bit better um, maybe than the suburbs, simply because we do it a little more, and we're all in the same frequencies. We speak right. the same language, everything else. Uh, but the suburbs, it's hard. Their SWAT teams do great. Like, the NIPA SWAT team, they are super professional. Like, you'll get a good response out of them. You, and we can work with them flawlessly. Like, we, you know, we... They you know, just they just fit in. Yeah, yeah. it's just, it's the same kind of thing. But in on the beat level, yeah, it's kind of hard to coordinate. Like I don't know what weapon system you're carrying. Maybe you carry a shotgun. We carry M4s. Maybe that guy just got a pistol. Right. You sometimes different radio frequencies. And we've tried to get better about that. I mean, a lot of the places. But no, you're right. It's a it is a it's an instinctive training difference. Like you literally get in the car and I'll be like, hey man, so what? And what are you feeling tonight? Ah, fuck that, dude. Let's go hit the hole on this answer radio jobs. Or you may be like, dude, let's go do some work. Like, I want to go get a gun. Or I want to go get, the, and, you know, and, and sometimes you don't sync up. You're like, I, I'm hungover, and you want to go chase people. I'm like, dude, I don't. <laughs> then that's where a good partnership, it's just like the AMBO, a huge partnership will make a, will make a, a huge difference. But we, we don't think like that. We don't think like in, 
in groups like that. Like, yeah, you could put together like, hey, we're going to do a seatbelt mission or you're going to go over here and do this. But by and large, you breed independence into police officers. Like, go, hey, go find stuff. Go find work. Go get some heads. Bring them in. You know, whatever. It's a different animal. So it's uh, that's one of the huge differences I saw. And you guys debrief a lot better. Like you get back off that shitty call. You sit around the fight. You again. You sit around the table at the house. Wow, man, did you see that? Man, that chick in the back seat. Huh? And you know, a more senior person can kind of be like, yeah, hey, listen, you know, or you yeah, can kind of work. Fuck? right. Yeah. Whereas on a car, like you're like, hey, man, like maybe you're <laughs> lucky. Your partner, like, holy shit, did you just see? We just see that, but you don't have that same. But you're catching another radio job. It's almost again, almost like the Ambo, where, man, oh yeah, that was a dead baby. Wow, that really. I remember that. Like the first dead baby I had. Like holy crap, dude, that's fucking horrible. And Joe Devillo's like, man, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, you know, I think so, but. Ambulance 10, take in the, like, oh, well, I guess that's, you know, then yeah, seven calls later, you're like, wait a second, I had a dead baby, like, four hours ago. Right. Like, this is surreal. Like, you know, wow, that's really, you know, that's bizarre. And, again, I think you see the same problems on the Ambo crews where they're just, you're lone wolves. Like, you don't know the fire guys. And people ask you, oh, do you know this guy at 95? Like, no, I only saw those guys like, right. like we rotated twice a month, and then, right. and, then, and then guys get mad. They're like, "Come on, you know him. Yeah. <laughs> you know him. You're at the same house. Yeah, yeah, you're at the same, like, yeah like, like I don't fucking know the guy. They're like, calling he's you a out. nice guy. Yeah, he's yeah. a really good oh. cook. Uh, were you I don't really eat ten? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, they brought me my lunch. And they bring you a plate at Sinai. I don't even know who this guy is. I, you know, no idea. Yeah, he's handsome. So, Brian, what's what's like a an average day for you on the SWAT team? You know, so we're feast or famine. For me, again, I'm kind of a house mouse. I'm not like, so we put guys out on the street for, you know, sort missions and things along those lines. But normally, um, I'll come in in the morning and, uh, you know, whatever medical stuff needs to get done, I try to keep up on my on my periodicals. I try to keep up my skill set because, again, I don't practice like you guys do. We're now, we're lucky. We ride with you guys. When was we, the last time you started an IV? Oh, yeah, like a week ago for guys who are overheating. <laughs> so we, I get to start a fair amount of lines. Yeah. Uh, but it's cheating because these guys are all like, Buff and cut, you right. know, like a, like I could put a line. I could trip and fall and put a line in you. It's not like trying yeah. to drop one into a ninety-year-old nursing home patient in, in his vascular collapse, yeah. right? You know, I'm like, listen, dude, I could literally like throw a fucking dart at you and put it in your in your in your in your uh, in your arm. Oh, but, um, took a little delay and where you gotta put that line? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Just looking for a big vein. That's yeah, all. That's all I'm looking for. <laughs> drop your pants. But what? Who's the who's the medic here? Shut up. Okay, okay, doc. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and so, like, you have your own office there? Yeah, so right? we have an office. I work for okay. uh, I work for Timmy Schnorr. He's a sergeant. He's the WMD sergeant, but I work for him. There's a couple of the guys that work in the office that are WMD, or there's a, a guy, Freddie Razo, who's a great operator, but he kind of scaled back a little bit to just, you know, kind of have a little bit more of a life. So he's up there working with us. You know, we do a lot of the uh, administra- the logistical stuff, not administrative. There's an, a desk crew that does that. Gotcha. But we keep track of all the different uh, all the different stuff for that. We also have a, a training cadre that we have our own range that we have that's set aside for SWAT. So most of the time I'm just kind of, you know, I'll try to go out and, and do training stuff. The guys go out to the snipers, go out there, or the, they go to shoot, I'll go out with them. Uh, if they're going to the FBI complex, they're going to do like shoot house, you know, live fire shoot house. I'll go out there and just provide medical support. And I try to jump in as much as they'll let me. Right. You know, if I get to bust some caps, it's a good day for me as well. <laughs> you know, right. I love that the yeah, SWAT it's guy a good, uses the term bust some caps. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a good it's, day for us too if we're uh, busting caps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, little different. But yeah, so at the end of the day, and then, but there's some days that are like, holy crap, you've got four warrants and two jobs in, in four days. Like you're literally getting an hour and a half of sleep, two hours of sleep at night. You're just getting killed. Wow. And there's other times where like weeks go by and I'm just like, I go in at six in the morning, I leave at 2.30 oh. in the afternoon and I 
you know, make sure my ADs are good and make sure my meds are, are you know, aren't expired and go, you know, do whatever, man. You know, kind of, is you know. It, it, my tire pressure's been low for a couple of months. Like, I guess not today's right. a good day to kind of. <laughs> yeah, you know, go back out again, change, take everything out of my car and put it back in again. I mean, it's, you know, and, it, and I joke with the guys on the team, but I feel like to a certain degree, you know, you're medic, you get paid not for what you do, but what you can do. Right. I'm an right. insurance policy, so. I, I tell people, we as uh, the fire department, we don't get paid for what we do, we get paid for what we're prepared to do. There it is, and that's what I tell people about being a medic as well, and, and again, the t again, the chain of command's pretty, pretty supportive on that, you know, not breathing down your neck, making sure you're doing busy work, but we try to help out as much as the, you know, the other sections need stuff. Oh, yeah. We try to jump in and help, but. Uh, so, so like a, a SWAT officer, do they have like a shift? Like, are they on duty for a shift a uh, certain amount of time with a certain amount of days off, or are is they it, forty hour employees? Or, or yeah, yeah, they're basically yeah, that's basically how it works. You got like you know they were they were they were kind of they kind of kind of had a bad schedule change due to some political reasons. But yeah, we have we have guys on the street pretty much twenty four seven. You have a squad that's doing training. You have a squad that's on the street doing stuff. Or a couple of squads that are doing that. So we they kind of rotates around like you're. And, and it's what it's, your schedule is, and it's horrible. Like they're they rotate from days to evenings to afternoons, and it's just savage. Ooh. That's like that's a man killing schedule. That's rough. And they had us; they were on six on, two off, which the old schedule, which is universally despised. Um, but we're kind of kind of changing that around now. Um, but uh, again, it's, it rotates for them when they're on shift. How long? And they, but they they do the eight hour. We don't we don't have ten hour days or twelve hour days like some of the districts Can do. You, you get called off shift if there's an incident. So the the, the on duty cars respond, and then there's a call out system that okay. uh, as they move through the squads. And I get called for everything because sure you, you're you the know, medic. Yeah, so you pretty much or, the, or you know for anything medical or WMD, you know I'm the I'm the guy on the list now, for that. I had been detailed to Engine Seventy Eight at Wrigley Field where they had these big concerts and all kinds of other stuff, the Cubs games. I, and you see SWAT officers all day there. Yep. Are, is that like a extra gig, or is that something? So like it varies. They they pull a lot of people in. There's a ton of overtime to be had on that. Guys are pissed that they cancel. I'm, I'm glad because I hated Lollapalooza and I hated sure. I hated all those things. That's where I met a lot of guys too. Was Lollapalooza yep. when I worked on the bike team. Yeah, so you see a lot of those guys out there. A lot there's a lot of overtime available on that. They'll pull a lot more people in. We would work a lot of venues, a lot of games. You know, a lot of stuff in a lot of different capacities. And unfortunately, with the whole COVID-19 thing, in addition to just being a hot mess, it's really killing guys um, overtime or whatever else. So sure. they're giving them plenty of time with their families. And some things, sometimes that's good and sometimes right. not not so good. So, um, were, were you around when the transition from HBT to SWAT? Nope, that was uh, that that was that was a long time ago. That, did, and, and did you have any idea? Has anybody ever spoken about like what made them go from HBT to, to SWAT? Well, you know, it was it was from what I understand, and this is you got to take this is just what I've heard. I'm not an expert on this, but basically, they were kind of a part time team. They would go out and they would bust heads and they would do SOS stuff. And then when a SWAT job would come in, they'd all come in. And they, you know, the, the, the joke was HBT was hardly been trained. I'm probably going to get <laughs> beat up for that when I go back. But uh, that was kind of the joke about it. And then they just figured, hey, we're just going to change the name. We're going to rebrand this thing. These are going to be. And you didn't have to be in SOS anymore to become a SWAT guy. Like before, you had to, to be a bomb tech, you had to be a detective. And then they would only select bomb techs from the detective thing. And there were some guys that... I mean, there'd be guys who'd be great bomb techs that they just weren't detectives. So they opened up citywide, and then they did the same thing with SWAT. Now, any officer with enough time can try out for the well, SWAT team. I imagine team. there'd be guys from the military who that was their specialty. They'd come back, and they couldn't use them because they weren't detectives. Right, and that, and that did. It did. It sucked a lot. Um, 
where you you get a lot of specialty stuff where guys couldn't do that. Again, the bomb techs too. You get guys who are who are bona fide EODs or explosive qualified people that just weren't eligible to try out for it. Would you even want to do that job? Listen, they were they just tested not that long ago, and uh, we lost a couple of we lost one medic over there and another guy we may have gone over there. And I'm like, no, I was we we just went out there. They just did a they burned a bunch of confiscated fireworks, which is super dangerous apparently. Uh, and I don't like going out there and doing it because I don't like burns. I'm not a huge burn fan anymore. Iraq kind of got that out of my system. But uh, so they're talking like, hey, man, we have another test coming up. I'm like, yeah, I'm not interested in blowing up. Like, I've had <laughs> explosives around me going off, and I'm not down with that. So, I mean, and it was cool. They, like, let my partner, like, blow one of the things up, click, 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 and blow the thing up and whatever. And he was, like, totally stoked about it. I'm like, yeah, that's great. It's cool that you guys get to do that. But then you also have to defuse bombs at some <laughs> point, and I'm not... I'm not it's vaguely it's interested kind of in that. One of my one of my things that I don't like to diffuse. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, and that's cool that you guys do that, and you guys get your sergeants paying whatever. But I, I don't want to blow up. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so I have zero. I really have zero interest in that. God bless those guys; they're awesome at it, and gals. And there's some females on that. On how that was, how cool was that? Um, that SOS team back in the day. That was that was old school so, stuff. Yeah, right? listen, man. Like those guys were something else. Like I remember when I was a PPO, uh, right out, of, you know, a probationary police officer, got a candidate for you guys, and uh, I was working with some dude, just like some random. Yeah, like my FTO wasn't there, and I got put with some other dude. He grabs me after roll call, and just the big hubbub was a guy had like lost a radio or something like that, and they're like, "Hey, come with me, kid." All right. So we drive to this thing. He bangs on this dude's door, and this dude, you know, OG comes out. Whatever. He tells the guys like, "Hey, man, I need that radio bag." The guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have no. He's like, hey, man, SOS is getting off. They're getting on a roll call at 2.30. If I don't have that radio, you know what's going to happen. We go back in the car, and I'm like, what the hell's going on? Who's SOS? Who are these? Whatever. And then his cell phone rings like 10 minutes later. It's in a trash can. It's a, you know, whatever, 200 block of north, whatever. And sure as shit, go back there at the trash can. There, there it is. Like, whoa, who are these dudes, man? Like, they were, they were, People were afraid of them. Like when they would, you'd get their attention, you didn't like it. They would come and shut down dope spots and whatever else. They were super effective. And apparently it was a little before my time, but. Too effective. Yeah. 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 So, but they were, uh, those guys were that, you want to talk about a, a team that had that legendary status? Those guys did. Yeah. That was like, wow, if you were SOS, you were like, that was the elite of the police department, at least where I was sitting. You know, talking to the beat guys and whatever else. Well, Those they the- were they were allowed to be police officers. They were allowed yep. to investigate, and then they were allowed yep. to do something about it. They, they weren't. Were- yeah, they were not tied to radio jobs. They were not yep. answering. You know, somebody's dog pooped on my lawn or whatever else. Those guys were strictly enforcement dudes, yeah. and they tend. To, I mean, there was a lot of it was the clout system, but also efficiency got you to those teams as well. Like those were the those were the the picked elite. Like man. Like, you know, you, hey, man, kid, you keep this up, kid, man. They may be looking at you for SOS on the line. Like, wow, like, that's a huge compliment, you know. What does SOS stand for? Special Operations Section, I think. Special Operations Services. Huh. I don't remember. It's just SOS. And we, we joke, we called it Son of Supervisors. Because there's a lot of, a lot, and again, I'm going to get beat up in the parking right. lot tomorrow. So when, you, when I call you guys from the hospital, you better bring me some beer or something. I don't know. Just, yeah, we just will talk be about there. the most we badass guys ever and then make them bust their balls. Did, um, is, is there anything like that currently, no. or is that you? 
Now that's a, you know, and we're not, we're not even the same animal. We don't do investigative stuff at this all. This is a different oh, really. time totally. we live in. And let me tell you what, and, and, the, and so here's the problem. And I'm probably going to get a CR number or whatever for this, but here's the problem. Like they can't make up their minds. Like they're like, we had a thing called mobile strike force and it was a mobile force that could strike things. Like you could use them for, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Then, that's, that's the fair. greatest name ever. Yeah. There was like a targeted response, you know, uh, the TRU target response. Unit. It was a unit that you could target for a response. It was. You know, whatever. And then, and then they you say, guys no. name things great. <laughs> so now they're like, well, we don't, you know, now we want to get rid of that because we want beat cops. Beat cops are the way to go. So they, they get rid of all these units and they screwed the MSF guys. They like, they, they took the whole unit and said, hey, here, your bid, when you bid out of here, there's four south side districts. That's all you can go to. So everybody who volunteered for that unit got hammered when they broke it up. But now they're kind of like, well, what we is, need. Is that like. Because I've heard the term saturation team. Yeah, so there's th those are still flowing around out there. Um, you know, then there's some gun teams and some things like that, but they're not the same as, as Ooh, TRU. I would, I would or, like to be on a gun team. Yeah, yeah. that sounds good. It, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, not gonna disparage that, but it's not as cool as like based the old on SOS your terminology. Days. That'd be a team that goes and gets guns. That goes and gets, <laughs> that guns. Goes and gets guns. Right, yeah. or uses guns. Yeah. Right. Uh, nobody uses guns anymore. We can it all help. But that's, that, once again, that day, is, that day is long since gone. Um, no, those guys do good work, but it's not the same. It's not the yeah. same as a big, large-scale unit like that that you can deploy into a hot spot and really try to cool things down. And now they're like, because everybody like hates these units. They, you know, and I understand it. L.A. crash when they had those guys and those issues and whatever else. Um, you, you have to have oversight in those units, and they have it now. But uh, no, you, but everybody hates the elite units or whatever. We want to have everybody in street clothes. Like New York, they got rid of their, their anti-crime guys and like everything exploded. Yeah. Like, well, they didn't get rid of their counterterrorism unit. Well, no, in New York, let me tell you what, those guys, oh my God, the ESU. I know, although it's weird because FDNY and NYPD despise one another apparently. Like, right, ooh, those guys are fist fighting on scene. Dude, they don't like each other. They write each other a ticket. Like, hey, I would, they compete for jobs. Yeah, well, they have a rescue. <laughs> they have a and, uh, uh, NYPD rescue. Yeah, yeah. And then they'll have FDNY squad, rescue, squad, whatever. And they compete for jobs and yep. they do not like each other. No, no, no. Hmm. So McCarthy was our superintendent. He was from New York for a while. And he's like, well, we don't kind of want to make SWAT like ESU. And they're like, hey, so what would we have to do? I'm like, do you have any idea how unpopular it's going to be to spend six, send 60 SWAT guys to extrication school? Do you have any idea what that's going to do to our relationship with the fire department? There already aren't enough extrications to keep the truckies busy. And then we're going to jump in on that, and we need to work on our stuff. Like, we need to do what we do. Right. So the, thank God that went away. But, yeah, you talk to the New York guys. Like, I guess NYEMS and NY, uh, NY, FDNY don't get along all that well. I guess it's gotten better, but that didn't. That partnership didn't do well either. And we're super blessed that we get along so well with you guys about 99% of the time. And there's loads on both sides that cause problems, but by and large, like, it's one team, one fight. Like, it's, and we're so lucky. We are very lucky that we have that. Absolutely. type of relationship yeah. out there. So, um, Did, um, you know what, Brian, do you want to talk at all about, uh, you, you still with Loyola or? You know, I, so I, I stopped teaching out, teaching out there. Right? I did quite a bit yeah. for a while there. And, uh, it just, as you know, as I moved more into this role, like I kind of miss teaching when I was like, when I was at the Academy. So I taught a lot. I taught for some private companies and whatever. And now I'm kind of like, listen, this is kind of what I do for a living. Like, I don't want to do this on the side very much. So, I mean, I still teach out there from time to time. They're gonna, you want to do a podcast? <laughs> yeah, listen, I, <laughs> listen, man, I'm, I'm all, now actually now I'm good because we're kind of, we're a little bit quieter. So, yeah, no, yeah I don't mind. You, you don't want to 
<laughs> okay, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, so I, yeah, Vince, I cra Vince cracks the whip. It's terrible. Is that right? All right, <laughs> never mind. Disregard that. I'm, I'm some kind of a lazy turd a lot of the time, so you probably don't want to have me doing that. But yeah, so I teach at Loyola sometimes. Nipsta, again, you know, Beth Cialino kind of runs the whole EMS side of the house over there. So we did a lot of TECC classes. Did a couple of cool ones for the academy. Went to the uh, went to Fire Academy South and did some things for the candidates. You know, we bring in some pork shoulders and shoot them. And uh, Beth does this thing where she gets these like cow tracheas and stuff like that. And surgical crikes. Yeah, surgical crikes. Then yeah. shows you how the how the pneumo works. Put them in an ambu bag. Um, the actual wrapper that it comes in, and you can actually like give it a pneumo. She's, I mean, it's really awesome. So, I mean, I like doing stuff like that, but I just, I got away from the just hardcore, you know, teaching on the side. And that's a lot of that's dog eat dog, like people like dicks to one another. And I'm right. like, I don't, yeah. I don't right. care that much. I, and ironically, pork shoulder is actually Vince's college nickname. He, uh, <laughs> nice. He Vince, you've had a lot of college nicknames. Uh, I've had one every podcast, I believe. Yeah. Well, they just keep getting better and better. Yeah, so. every, Pork every shoulder's not bad. I've been called worse, let me tell you. <laughs> That's not so, the worst. So have I. Uh, <laughs> since we're on the topic of pork shoulder, uh, why don't you, uh, you wanted, uh, when we talked to you earlier, you wanted to kind of um, shed some light on your, um, you know, what you want to support, which is the Wounded Warrior Foundation. Yeah, that's one of the big ones. Um, you know, I, I and I, I tell people about my, you know, my tactical medicine stuff. You know, a friend of mine named Cam Crouch, I was in Iraq with, uh, had a had a catastrophic injury when we were over there, and uh, we were able to get him to the 20th Combat Support Hospital super fast. And I tell people that the 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 coolest, you know, never mind the combat medic badge or the Bronze Star or whatever else, SWAT greens or whatever. Uh, the second coolest thing I've ever done in my life, and the first one was holding my son for the first time. The second coolest thing was watching him walk down the aisle on two fake legs and, uh, and get married. He's got a couple of kids now, and uh, you know, oh, that's God the validation. Awesome. You know, seriously, that's the validation. That, that makes everything, all the sweat, all the blood, all the tears, it makes it all worthwhile. Um, and you guys, guys were like, in the same unit? Yeah, we, were, we, went to, we deployed together, yep. Okay. And, uh, and I didn't know him before this, but we, he was in my, the platoon that I was with all the time and everything else, and... Uh, Great guy, and uh, does he live here? Hey, you know, he lives out. He's a hillbilly. Well, a lot of my YouTube are hillbillies, <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible way. Um, God bless him for being out of Chicago. I'm jealous as, as I'll get up. But you know, a lot of those guys they get a lot of help. I mean, you know, I know Wounded Warriors had some problems in the past with maybe some CEOs getting too much money or whatever else. But you know what? I've known a lot of guys that they have done a lot of good for. So um, you know what I tell people? Look, I I don't like Christmas gifts and birthday gifts because people get just stupid shit. Like it's only so many little police dog figurines that you can give me so i just tell people all got the them all over the studio yeah that's yeah. how steve decorated the studio yeah so i mean i get it so what <laughs> Sorry, i tell Grandma. people now is if you want to get me something just uh just donate some money in my name to wounded warriors um okay. and then the other thing i'm super passionate about we talked a little bit about this offline was that uh you know again the whole ptsd uh, suicide thing with military people law enforcement uh, i was a homeroom instructor which is kind of the drill instructor equivalent for the academy one of my guys uh killed himself uh, another guy that you know was an assistant homeroom instructor for killed himself. Um, I've known a lot of a lot of people in the last in my life that uh, that I in our line of work we see a lot of people that die anyway. Um, I, we've all been to way too many funerals, but the ones that are the most galling are the people who take their own lives. And we just do as a profession, yours and ours, we do a terrible job. Of uh, it was gotten better, but for the longest time, the horrific job on supporting people with this idea that you know you're the whole lone wolf mentality, and we stigmatize things. You're weak, you're whatever else, and I, you know right. we just got to figure out a way 
Uh, and the police department's been good. We've gotten away from if you get a PTSD designation, they don't take your weapon away anymore. You're not going to get fired. They don't take your FOID card away. I mean, obviously, you cross those lines, you ideations or, you know, whatever. But they've gotten a lot better about it. But we sure, need to- but you got you to take that stigma out if you want people yeah. to start reaching out for help. Yep. And, you know, that's one of the reasons like we have guys like you on. We, we've gone down this road, and I, I, we think it's important to – you know, bring more awareness to that, to our profession yeah. and your profession. There's no shame in reaching out. There's none. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're weak. It just means at some point everybody needs a hand. Yeah. And, and if that's the difference, and I tell people all the time, I would rather sit and listen to your, your story of your life for three hours than go to your eulogy. I don't want to hear your funeral. Yeah. I don't, you know, I tell people that, uh, you know, and we, I think, but now I believe we have to do more than that. I think we, you know, are you bro- your brother's keeper? Yes, you are. I think the same way that you would never leave me in a fire, and the same way I would never leave you in a shooting scene. If somebody was engaging you, we're coming for you. No matter what, I will, I will come for you. I don't care who's shooting at you. I don't care what we have to do. I'm going to come in there. I'm going to get you. you know, and if I'm in a burning building, I know you guys are coming for me. But why would you leave me in the, in the bunk room? Why would you leave me in the, in the, in the roll call room? Right. And we do that a lot. We realize guys are having problems. They're drinking. They're doing this. They're doing that. And, and, and people want to stay away from, oh, that guy's trouble, man. He, no, man, that guy's got trouble. Why don't we, why don't we do a better job? Because just telling you, putting on my Facebook page, that you can call me anytime if my phone number is fine. But, dude, I've known people that, that knew that. I knew that he knew to call me, and he didn't. Right. The last person he called was his, was his girlfriend, or his, his ex-wife, rather. Uh, don't let him kill my dogs. My dogs are locked up upstairs. And then he hangs up the phone. He had a phone in his hand right before he killed himself. He could have called me. It's not enough. We have got to do a better job on taking care of each other. And, right. Well, and we being, had uh, Chief Kenny on here on the last podcast. Yeah, she's and she, awesome. And she said, yeah. you got you to gotta push sometimes. Yep. You know, you got you to gotta, you gotta make that guy uncomfortable. Yeah. And you have to push. And, uh, yeah. you know. I, uh, I it, believe the, the term she said was... Uh, at that point, there's no line that you don't cross no. to, to help yeah. out. Yeah, hundred percent. But you have to be ready to go all the way too. Right. Yeah. You can't tell somebody you got it. You get their back and then don't answer the phone. Yeah, you're, you all wanna, you're all in it. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I tell you what. Um, I had, and not to uh, elaborate on, what, but I had some family stuff going on recently, and uh, the captain from the house called me and he, uh, anything going on, Steve? You need help with anything? Nah, Cap, I'm good. We got everything handled. Blah blah blah. He goes, listen. I don't want to be one of those guys that says, I want to help, and then I don't help. Right. I want to be the guy that says, if you need something, call me, and I'm going to do something about it. And uh, he goes, and anything you need, call me, blah, 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 blah. And many, many, many people did that. But he definitely emphasized the fact that if you need something, call me. And I'm not going to be one of those guys that says, call me if you need something. I'm going to be that guy that's going to help you. Yeah. So, and it, it resonated with me. And we need leaders like that, and you know, not just you know, from the rank and file on up. I, you know, we need we need more people like that that are going to again you know, make you uncomfortable and, and get inside your space and whatever, and don't take no for an answer. Um, and you know, again, you got to be careful about how you do it. You can't call people out in public. You got to, you know, you got to be careful how you do and everything else. But I like, I mean, I love hearing stories like that where, yeah. where leaders are like, "Hey, man, we're going to take this bull by the horns. I'm not, I'm not letting you off that easy." Because we all say that, right? We all, we've all been there. You know, uh, how you doing? I'm fine. I'm all good. That's the, that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm all good. Once you look at me and you say you're all good, all right, come on in here for a second. And, <laughs> right. You know, at Rock, it was easy. Like, I got into smoke by, you know, uh, the princess is all mad at me because I smoke cigars. But uh, that was one of my things. I'd get a cigar, and some guy was having a tough time. You'd go and, hey, man, let's go smoke a cigar. Oh, all right. 
And then now you're stuck with me for half an hour. <laughs> right. And then so you wind up talking. And again, being that 35-year-old around a bunch of 22-year-olds, 20-year-olds, they kind of would lean on you a little bit. So I got to kind of do that role. I feel like, you know, we got to do peer support for the SWAT team. So I feel like you kind of get into that role as well. And, you know, people call you all the time. Like phone's ringing at 2 o'clock in the morning all the time. And it's like, hey, doc. Hey, so what's going on? Then people you don't even know. You're like, hey, man, I talked to this guy who said I can talk to you. And like, you know, and then it's like, you know, sometimes you're, you're annoyed. You're like, damn, man, it's like two o'clock in the morning. I right. could be up. And, but then you're like, hey, fuck it, dude. What you called me. Right. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I'm I'll go downstairs. You. I'll go make some coffee and whatever, dude. Was you talk, you, you know, whatever you got to do. And that's, I think that's again, one of the things I'm proudest of. I think of my, of, of what I've done in my life is that I've been there for guys. Not necessarily, I'm not going to say it's easy to go work on somebody under fire, but it's instinctive to do that. You know, sometimes your true character is shown when it's not convenient for you and it's not glorious. You know, it's, it's, the, it's that hard rubber meets the road. You know, you're going to have to put some work in on this one. And I feel like that's, you know, that's one of the things I've done in my life that I'm super proud of is that I've been able to, you know, help some people like that and hopefully impress that on other people so we kind of change that culture just a little Did bit. Did Wounded Warrior provide support for... Your guy there? Yeah, they, there's another. I can't. He'll be mad at me that I forgot what the thing is. Homes for, homes for heroes. They rebuilt his whole house and everything else for him. Uh, okay. I understand that uh, the wounded warriors had a couple of trips for him and okay. things along those lines. But I've known other people that I mean, really, they went out of their way for him. I mean, they put a lot of stuff, a lot of fun trips on, and get kind of get your mind off of it. Counseling, a lot of that sort of thing. Right. Buying stuff for people like you know, he's got two wrecked legs, so trying to drive a truck's a trick. Man, yeah. he's got a pimped out vehicle. You know what I mean? He's, they've, you know, it's been a lot of work for him, but they've been with him stride for stride. Uh, and, and a lot of people have stepped up for him. So I just, you know, that's why I tell people is don't buy me a gift. Just, you know, give some money to something like that. And there's a ton of good, you know, the, when the good ones well, out spell, there. Spell your last name for everybody who's going <laughs> to go in and uh, put a couple dollars into yeah. Wounded Warriors for you. Well, how, about, how about this? We'll do, we'll do, we'll do them better. We will put a section for Wounded Warriors. With his name. With his name. Okay. Right. On, be on, our, on our donation section okay. of the website. Well, we have a section awesome. on there where, uh, that has all our charities. So we'll, we'll attach your name to the Wounded Warrior thing. Perfect. For you. I appreciate right. that. Uh, it's the least we could do. Thank you so much for Absolutely. being here. Yeah, I'm glad it's, to have me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it's it. It's been a blast. Um, any last words? Anything you want to get out uh, while you're uh, super famous right now? <laughs> yeah. To the to the five listeners that we're including your son in the five. Yeah, so yeah, he'll be, he'll be number six. Be number six for you. No, you know, I just tell people, man, be careful out there. Keep your head on a swivel. We live in dangerous times across the board. Just uh, you know, look out for each other, physically, mentally, emotionally. Just you know, when you look to your left and you look to your right, that's who you've got your back these days. And uh, you know, take that seriously. Stay frosty out there. Well, we'll uh, we'll have your back out there too. No, we appreciate it. One team, one fight. You guys are awesome. And uh, all of us. I know the SWAT team in particular, but the entire Chicago Police Department, they feel safer knowing that you guys are a couple of minutes away and that you're going you're gonna to do a great job. And I'm tell- I, can't, I am dead serious. Um, you don't know how much that means to us. And I can tell you 100% from the SWAT team, knowing that you guys are two or three blocks away. Yeah, they think I'm good, but they think you guys are great. And I'm telling you, but that's a force multiplier for us around the horn. So I know there's some, some officers out there that maybe don't do the best job all the, all the time or whatever, but I'm telling you, heart and soul, your average Chicago police officer, man, we, we appreciate what you guys do. Got mad respect for you. Well, thank you so much. And the feelings, uh, mutual. Yeah, definitely I, I, mutual. I, I, and that, you know, from, from our side too. So thanks again. We appreciate it. And thanks for tuning in to Chicago's Braver Stories. This has been a Fire and Iron.
Media Production. You have something to say, people want to listen. How is that, Daddy? The opinions and views are that of Chicago's bravest stories and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations.